Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. And when I think of you, I touch myself. On the button. Yep. I gotta gotta show off for our for for, for a friend here. Oh, don't. Oh, I, yeah, I mean it's always great. <laughs> Dap is Dap is showing you his hand. I usually hand. just turn the show off after that. That's <laughs> all I for. See now, I know that's not true because then I'll usually get someone slide into my DMs and be like, "Yo, actually, by the way." <laughs> I feel like such a... I'm sorry. Never, no. never, no, never no. feel that way. I love, First of all, I'd rather be corrected. If any of us said anything that was that, that was untrue or just our, our memories are fading. But I I love hearing from you, first of all. But any anything I may have said that was in error, I need to make sure I, I get it right. So yeah, it's never true. apologize for that. Yeah, and my brain is decaying at a rapid pace. Serious no. facts. Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Hey everybody, speaking of decaying, it's 11 o'clock comics, episode 827, y'all. It's the book of the month episode, yay! And I am Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I am, of course, the Death Ray, but y'all can call me Andy. Wow, that's a lot of foreshadowing there. You're not the death ray. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And, beautiful listener, ask yourself this question. What's better at this time of year than a Hallmark movie? Well, we have the answer. Anything else. Stop. We have. Why do they keep mentioning Ted Nugent? I have not figured this out. But whatever. This is the topic for another day. What's better than a Hallmark movie at this time of year? Why, it's the brilliant, super talented, amazingly gifted creator of Cankor, Matthew Allison. He's here with us. Hi, everybody. Yes, we love this dude so much. This is like a mashup of EOC uh, specialty apps. We've got a guest on. We've got book of the month all in one. It's like a of greatness. Maybe a top five will filter itself in somewhere. (laughs) Sorry, Matthew. What were you going to say? No, I just, I'm not the first guest on a book of the month, am I? That's a good question. Because I just barged in. No, no, you did not barge in. It was great. No, uh, actually, I'm sure we even had it. uh, Tony started us off this year when we talked about Mouse, but um, I don't know if any, but if we had a guest, we had to have. They had after all these years of doing the book of the month. Yeah, we had. To. You did say yeah. guest, right? Tony's Tony's like, oh shit, this guy again wants to come on. But uh, here's a little bit of uh, behind the green curtain. I asked Matthew uh, via email last no a while ago. Uh, do you want to be on with this next episode? And he said, I can't, but I would love to sit in on the book of the month episode. And I'm like, my head exploded, like. Who asks to come on during a book of the month? It was like you gave me a little Christmas present. Yay! <laughs> it's like uh, it's like you open the ad- day one of the advent calendar a day early. Yeah, <laughs> and it has a throbbing brain behind the little door. Like whoa! But anyway, we want to tell you who made this possible, and as usual, it is the beautimous patrons. Yep. 
patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics one one no apostrophe each and every day we huddle together via the dedicated slack channel and we share all kinds of information and other things some of it uh, tmi but whatever uh we love them they love us we gather we just have a great time so if you want to see all of the stuff that um you can contribute to us and we can contribute back to you go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics join the family yo yes sir yeah and you won't hear it again at the end i promise (laughs) what i'd like to hear now is what you drinking can you hear that can you hear it not my bed springs it is a (laughs) delicious extra large um diet soda from sam's i have two of them like like sam's brand like rc cola style no it's probably coke shasta or whatever coke the black coke with the red whatever it is coke zero or whatever they they buy hot dogs and they bring me home because you get a drink with it so i get the i reap the the benefits of the hot dogs we are living high in pennsylvania let me tell you High on the hog over here. Jesus. Which 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 of the of the eight course tasting menu was hot dogs? Which which Uh, all of them. All of them actually. (laughs) Pigs in the blank with the pinky. Yeah, but if you eat the packet of sauerkraut separately, then that could be another course, right? Ooh, you know, as you know, I will eat almost anything, but sauerkraut is one of the things I do not eat. Oh, I'd love the sauerkraut. Not on a hot dog. I don't eat hot dogs. Oh man, Matthew. <laughs> you should have known. You should have known, Come my on friend. Now. I, I am. Uh, I am. Uh, I am actually drinking. The wife is away. Well, so we were away last week, as as you all know, since I wasn't on the show. But uh, I'm back, obviously. But the wifey is still down in uh, in Florida. So, uh, so I'm uh, I'm sitting here getting a little uh, getting a little drink on. Have a uh, have some uh, nice Cabernet. Um, I, I, I neglectfully, because I'm rusty, didn't didn't uh, take a note of, of the bottle. So I, I can't tell you what, what kind of Cabernet I'm drinking. I just know that it was the bottle that was open already, and I poured it. So, uh, yes, but I'm having some wine. Okay. Matthew. Well, last time, uh, I don't want to say I was being judged for my drink of <laughs> choice, <laughs> but I did. Uh, was that the PBR? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so tonight I was going to go the Jeffrey Beaumont route and get some non-alcoholic Heineken, but I didn't make it out. So I'm drinking non-alcoholic uh, Guinness Stout. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's really good. Weird. Okay. I am so fascinated by the non-alcoholic beer drinking. So am I. So am I, man. It's because I... it's because of the pandemic. Everybody went nuts drinking and now everybody's trying to get sober, so they need an alternative. That's that's my assumption. interesting. No, but even even before no, I'm the just pandemic, talking about the taste, like, though, I just like, yeah, I'm like, I mean, who? I, it, it's weird for me to I, I'm just because I'm not a beer drinker, but for somebody who, and obviously the people are, but they, they like the taste so much enough that they will buy a non-alcoholic version of it, and it just, I mean, it's I'm not trying to equate it to to, to decaf coffee, but it is. It's just it's one of those weird things where. Um, I just I can't, but it's because I'm not keen on beer in general that yeah. that I couldn't think to to that I'd want I'd still want some 
even without the benefit of maybe getting slightly buzzed. Yeah, John Moxley, the I mean, Daph knows who he is, but for those who don't, he's he's one of AEW's top stars. He's one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. He's very publicly um, working on sobriety after being an alcoholic, and uh, he's been very candid about his journey. And, and, and as part of that, he said that his uh, at the after every match, he has a six pack of non-alcoholic beer as his reward. And I, when I heard him say that, I found it fascinating because, and and by no means am I an expert, but I would think right, like if if like the taste, yeah, the, the can't like the ritual of that, if it's still such a strong lore, and you view it as a reward, like I worry about dude go falling off the wagon. Yeah, and again, that's his that's his journey. It's not mine, so it's not really fair of me to put that like on him. But I was just thinking like. Were it me, I would have to eschew like any yeah. Yeah. any yeah. semblance of it. It couldn't be in the house. I couldn't have can't like I just couldn't have it. You know, the the blue book in AA tells you not to do it. Right, um, it's it's a huge no no. So yeah, and he may not have gone to AA meetup. Just he, he might have just sure. with rehab and then yep. yeah, he went to a uh, an in, an inpatient uh, uh, facility. Uh, mm. Yeah, it, it just just literally like cold turkey. He he didn't even tell his wife he. Uh, like he texted her on the on the way to the facility. He's like, "I'm going yeah. to rehab." And, and nice. his boss, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna check into the. Inf- oh, did you say what you were drinking, Deb? I did not. Oh, not. then you better do it. I better. Um, now my segue shit. Yeah, it is. So it's okay. uh, after the uh, after the movies Friday, neighbors came over. I didn't have a um, a bottle of wine to 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 give to. To, to, to Kim, my neighbor's wife, and uh, so I pulled out an old bottle that um, was in the uh, was in the hutch from Knocking Point, which I used to subscribe to their you know wine of the season uh, back in the day. So this is from 2015. Uh, it's their Wicked Aim Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, it is a um, it's it's pretty tasty. It's one of those things where I, I was hesitant. I still have some bottles from them, and I'm hesitant to open them because I'm never going to get them back. So it's one of those things where it's – but obviously, if it's got a screw top, it's not really meant to be stored. So you should just go ahead and open it. But I've got a couple of screw tops, and most of them are corked. But um, since, it, since I opened it for her to have some, I don't want it to turn to vinegar. And let me drink it, and I'm glad I'm drinking it. It's pretty tasty. Nice. What's well, the segue, I'm, Vince? I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. Well, we're going to check in to a very special place. It's called the <laughs> Infinity Comics Group. <laughs> because this is our Book of the Month episode. And this time around, we are going to be focusing on Pussy! Exclamation point by Dan Klaus. Ripped, kicking and screaming from the pages of 8-Ball. Originally published by Fanagraphics from August, na- August 1989. Wow to August 1994. Should we list the issues in which it appeared? Why don't well, you go ahead? You have the issues because I have I, I have the collected edition that came out Same. a few years ago. Yeah. Well, it's 134689, one half page in issue 10 and issue 12. Yeah. And I uh, got a... what? Eight ball. Thank of course. You. I said that. Um, the do you know having not you don't own you don't own this collection right no i didn't see the the need for it exactly 
I'm curious to know if this reprints in order of publication or if Daniel mixed things up and it, it ordered it. It, it is the order yeah, of I, I checked it against the collected Great. edition. Yeah. You are Thank amazing, you. my friend. Look yes, at you. Yes. I should have just asked him. Yeah. <laughs> because despite the fact that there were gaps between uh, issues, there is a linear progression to the stories. I mean, yeah, one yes. of them jumps backwards to his uh, early childhood. Pretty late in the game, too. But uh, the flow, I think, is pretty much perfect, even though there's a... Uh, Doctor Infinity story, almost Which right I, in the middle. I, that's that. That's probably my favorite story. Oh, ever. mine too. Mine too. But I, uh, I figured. I figured. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so scathing. But we'll we'll, we'll get there. Um, Jason has a question to ask. I do. I do. As is always, <laughs> uh, I need to know when you all first experienced this work. Uh, as you just alluded, it it was serialized um, back in the late 80s into the early 90s, and then the first Poussey trade was released, I believe, in 2004, 2006, one or the other. And uh, and the, the, the trade, I believe, that, that Dap and I read from this time is the uh, re-release, and I guess they say slightly remastered, although as I've learned, it's actually smaller size than the original trade, um, smaller trim, but uh, but was released uh, a few years ago from Fanta. So my, my first experience reading it was... Uh, this week, uh, wow. but uh, I assume that was not the case for you, fine gentlemen. No, I bought it when it was coming out um, in April. In April, yes, I was. Uh, he, uh, Klaus was on my uh, radar because of Lloyd Llewellyn, right? And I just followed him to April. It was, it was like, and he he made he greased the wheels because in the early issues of April, Lloyd Llewellyn appears. So it was a seamless transition. I thought, well, I love this guy's stuff. Why not? I didn't even think about it. When I saw the cover, I was I was locked in because um, Like a Velvet Glove is extremely Lynchian, and he had me from jump. And how about you guys? Well, for me, I um, pretty much from the beginning, but actually uh, I bought issues one through six all in one lump because um, I had read about those in this Comics Journal 148 and um, then bought the subsequent issues as they came out. So more or less from the beginning. High five, Matthew. Uh-huh. Uh, as far as this particular work, uh, like you, Jason, I um, I read it for the first time over the weekend. Why? Well, as they say, better late than never. Well, I mean, I'm familiar with the man's work. I've, I've read some things here and there. This, I and I purposely bought this because this was a blind spot. I, I knew that, you know, I, I was, I'm not going to buy the eight ball issues. I'm not going to really get a chance. So if, if I can, you know, like the Love and Rocket stuff, if I can get a collection of, you know, a particular, whatever theme Klaus may be working on or, or, or a collection of that particular story, then then I'll go for it. And this, this was, I knew this wasn't, I know he's done I'm not going to say better work, but but uh, that you could appreciate what he does with other things that he's done. Um, but still, just to get, I, I I'm a fan of the man's work of, of his art, especially. Um, so I figured at least I'll have this. I could say I have some clouds in my collection, but um, yes, Vince, better late than ever. Nice. Well, I, 
I, I remember you guys talking about, um, I don't know if it was patience or some other Klaus work, and David had said he had never read 8-Ball. And I remember reaching out to him uh, on Twitter, I think, just saying, definitely read the Dan Pusse stuff. Um, and I was thinking specifically of the Dr. Infinity story because uh, I just figured that'd be right. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. And it's ironic in a sense because uh, Pusse's by far the tamest long form work that uh, Klaus has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think anyway. I mean, he uh, he will go the distance for his art. He's kind of like Charlotte Gainsbourg. Uh, he'll take two dicks to get the scene, right? <laughs> And that's not really her body, though. Well, whatever. I, I like to think it is. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the stuff is just so over the top, but that's what he's very honest. Um, he apologizes within the pages of eight ball many times on the, and on the cover, too, for the things he's done, because he knows he's he's traipsing over that line. But um, so let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, the, the short of it is, um, Pousse is a, uh, lifelong fan of comics whose dream was to someday draw them. And, and he, he does get that dream and is severely manipulated and exploited by a publisher and dies, uh, alone in a hospital bed, uh, a virtual unknown. <laughs> that's the story but there's many wrinkles to it and and we'll get there but i mean is, that's pretty much puse in a nutshell right more or less yeah and yeah. it's it's sad i think the, the fact that you could sum up this character's life in in one sentence where um he's nothing if not enthusiastic about the medium but you know, vis-a-vis the medium, the thing, the actual thing he loves is his downfall because he, he just willingly accepts the, the manipulation at the hands of, of Dr. Infinity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 if I had one word to describe this book, it would be sardonic, mm-hmm. which, I, which I realize is, is, is not, not nothing new in, in thinking of Klaus's work and, and worldviews, but... Uh, but this is just a, a, a biting, very dry, scathing, satirical look at the uh, comics industry, in particular that that time of the comics industry. And and he he suffers no fools against everybody. I mean he oh it's he, balanced. He cuts, he cuts down everybody from right from fans to creators to publishers to I mean just he, it's it's not like he has any sort of uh, lenience to any particular part of this comic ecosystem it's just a very sardonic look at the whole thing well he takes a shot at his own publisher yeah which is great that was yes. uh, it's 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 remarkably balanced it could have been uh skewed from the point of um you know alt comics are cool everything else sucks but he takes a shot at art spiegelman too so it's it, he pretty much you know covers all the bases in this that that's why i i kind of love klaus because he uh, unabashed, he's very fair in his um, vitriol, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, but you got to wonder how much of it is from the heart. How much of this story 
does he actually mean? He could well, just be stirring the pot. Like I see a lot of crumb in in uh, yeah. Dan Klaus. Yeah. You know, he did. He he said that uh, Weirdo was a big influence on him making Eight Ball, um, and so I, I know you know Crumb was definitely um, someone that he admired and then became friends with pretty early on. I think Crumb was writing him letters when he first started Eight Ball. Um, they started a correspondence. But um, I don't think you've read this, uh, Vince. There's an introduction where he talks a little bit about the creation of, of this character and these stories. And I recently watched a couple inter- recent interviews with him. And he views Puse as a cautionary tale of the career he would have had had he not abandoned superhero comics as a teenager. Um, so I think that there's a lot of this is like very self-reflective thinking about his own uh, uh, levels of fandom and mania around, you know, pop culture and then seeing it reflected in other people and being repulsed by that, but also understanding like that very easily could be me. Right. Well, he came close. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider cracked fairly mainstream. Yeah. And, yeah. and he had a, a decent stint. Um, and I think who was the editor at the time? Was it Mort Todd? More Todd, yeah. yeah, and so he could have easily fallen into that pit and been, you know, while he probably would have been a star within that cracked slash mad magazine little microcosm, he wouldn't. Have, I don't think he would have garnered the critical acclaim such as it is that he did through April. I mean, what was it? The Ugly Family was great, but mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that it would have uh, got him the ghost world movie you know yeah well and he may not it may not be evident in the stories themselves <clears throat> excuse me but the um that interview that he did with with groth around this time when he was doing these stories he very much hated superhero comics and that whole segment of comic book culture and was very vocal about um and, and granted you know he's since softened on this stuff a little bit but he was saying like he could have easily found himself working for Marvel, drawing Hulk, and he would have been miserable. And I don't know if I—I I don't ever see him having drawn Hulk, maybe inking Hulk. Um, but uh, yeah, that vitriol you're talking about is definitely in the interviews that he did around this time. Okay, I should pull those issues out and reread them. Would have been nice if I read them for this episode, but that's the way I work, right? <laughs> <laughs> So um, do we need to break it down? Because there's a lot of stuff going on here. And um, let's just get it out of the out of my system going in. Dr. Infinity is a pastiche on Stanley. No. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what gave it away? The toupee? <laughs> uh, or but the fact that he's got his name written on everything, even though he didn't write or draw it. Well, that's the thing, right? So, uh, the I think the most revealing, um, one of the the more revealing character bits, comes out of Doctor Infinity's mouth early on, when um, number one, he didn't ask any of the new candidates for his Infinity Comics group for samples. He he just right. basically just hired them, and. Um, one of the uh, the guys 
were like, hey, did, did you ever work with, with Wally Wood or, or Will Eisner? Two of the all-time greats. Like, it, again, the Mount Rushmore, those two gentlemen would be represented in stone, right? And Infinity's like, yeah, I worked with them. They were good, you know, but they weren't like Hal Acker and and Crank Gill. And and he the the praise that he gives for these two gentlemen is not focused on their artistic skill. It's either focused on the fact that they produced a lot of work, a ton of work, and the more important thing, they produced it on time. So that's the yardstick he uses to measure um you know his the people under his employ these guys did a lot of stuff and they always had it in on time not that man they could draw like uh, amazingly well or or you know the, the the quality of their line was impeccable none of that shit they're just they were timely and they gave him the resources yeah. to exploit them right they produced a lot of work henceforth he made a lot of money producing their you know reprinting uh, their work that's his his estimation of of quality. What can you give me? And we see that. I mean, it's a sad, uh, unfortunate fact. There are a lot of Doctor Infinities out there. Oh yeah. It's not just relegated to the comic book industry. I I think you look at the music industry and the film uh, industry. There's people like this all over the place. They just exploit. They're, They're parasites. They exploit the 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 products of very very talented people because everybody needs to work and um they get rich and the people actually making the work um don't in a nutshell well, that was one of the things i learned about stanley reading the marvel the untold story was that very early on he was all about getting movies made getting toys made he the comics, he would actually badmouth the comics. He would go and, and talk to retailers and other comic creators and like, you know, the comics are really eh, it's necessary evil. What I really want to do is all this other stuff. So he saw the potential for all the IP and everything. I don't think Stan was ever an, an ambassador for the art form. He didn't really care about that. He just cared about, you know, pushing these into other arenas and, and obviously making money. Right. Yeah, I mean, St- Stan's Stan's what now looks to be g- genius perspective on the value of the IP was also the thing that nearly bankrupted Marvel. I mean, because he he was so eager to get this stuff made at a time when uh, there was just much less of an understanding as to how to go about this stuff that he he effectively gave away the rights to a massive chunk of the catalog to people for pennies on the dollar and. Uh, you know that's still haunting Disney a bit to this day. Um, you're right now they've they've slowly but surely over the sheer force of will and and uh, and billions of dollars of money uh, have have clawed back the rights to a majority of the characters, most notably the X the X Men and Fantastic Four universes, um, which they now do own again. But but uh, you know for the first 15 years of Marvel Studios, they didn't have access to those characters because of Stan giving them away for very very little money. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to be Vince that we start this way though, because I guess I shouldn't be surprised because we we opened by saying that this book was equally uh, assailant of everyone in the comics ecosystem, 
but the thing you glom onto and get most excited about is the is the is the take on Stan. Of course, and, and I get that because you you have a bug up your ass about Stan. But like, no, it's actually just, called you know it's it's borderline hatred. But okay, I know, right, right. But 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 I I I think I think while obviously that is Stan, as you mentioned at the beginning, I think it's important that this this is not like a oh Stanley's a horrible human being comic. This is a everybody in the comics industry is worthy of derision because we're all sure we all have issues but it does start with dr infinity sure right so I, I thought that would be a nice jumping on point no 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 for sure i'm just saying it's no surprise to me that you got excited by the stan lee send-off that's all exactly <laughs> i gotta Cause, be because there's a jack kirby vibe too right like most notably that that dan goes out into the world to make comics other places and then has to come crawling back and working for, yeah, I mean, Jack, that, Jack that, never that, crawled that back to Marvel. He never crawled back to Marvel. Well, I mean, to hear, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of talk from Jack and others that it was an unhappy thing, that it was a, a, oh. a sense of failure. That well, if did. somebody redrew your Superman, you'd be pissed too. Yeah, yeah, that's all I'm saying. I mean, right. I, I like as I was reading this, I thought, oh, that's the that's now as we know, Kirby was not in any way the only artist that left the publisher and then came back to work for that publisher again. But, but I, I, I was like, Oh, that's, that's Kirby right there. Like, which is interesting because obviously Kirby made very different kinds of comics, uh, as did Stan. So, um, you know, that's the other thing too, about this, like the veneer here is that, is that, uh, you know, like uh, Pousset is, is, a, is a superhero comic artist in a world that is largely unaccepting of them and finds it uninteresting. Right. And, um, like, so, so, like, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with your guys' take that, that this doesn't have an air of the, you know, comics journal, like, mainstream comics suck, like, with a big X. Cause, like, I, I, I think that's kind of like the central premise of, 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 of Klaus's, like, raison d'etre. Like, that's his, as, as you, as, as, you know, like I just think that that's so core to the way Klaus views the comics world, and and as you noted, it even even his own career and how fortunate he feels that he abandoned that world. That like I I do feel like it's it sees through it's like seething in this book, and you kind of have to take that as a premise that like superhero comics equal bad or lowbrow. And I I so and I I don't I mean I don't think any of us really share that view i mean we we spent a good chunk of our lives reading and talking about superhero comics right but way back machine look at look at the time this was published 89 to 94 sure yeah yeah. the the movies were not the billion dollar Mm -hmm. i mean there there were very few comic book movies and Mm -hmm. when he was making this dan was not the uh the uh the indie comics poster child i mean he was one of a bushel of Mm -hmm. of talents on which to keep an eye but he wasn't quote dan claus when he was making this the, these are the babies these are the baby I steps like, i disagree with that like uh, would, yeah wouldn't this be when he was dan claus i mean this was eight ball like this is when he was the guy right i mean well i'm sure if you look at the circulation of eight ball i'm guessing they didn't sell many uh, when i say many i would be very surprised if every issue of eight ball broke twenty five thousand copies thirty thousand very surprised because if you look at the the prices for these things, mm-hmm. the single issues, they're ridiculous. Oh yeah, I sold all of mine on eBay a few years back for a lot of money. Right, but I do think that of that 
when you say, you know, he was part of this crop of, of artists that were all somewhat on equal footing for me personally, he rose above all of them, even the Hernandez brothers. Like I, wow. I glommed on to Klaus so quickly and so hard. Cause it was, I was 18, 19 working in a comic book shop and everything he takes aim at in this was exactly what was infuriating me on a daily basis. So it felt like he had, uh, you know, you, Vince, you always talk about people having, you know, a main line into your brain. And that's how I felt in that moment. I also feel like he was writing this for Gary Groth because you read the comics journal issues from around this time. Groth mentions Dan Pussy constantly to people. <laughs> he's talking to Alan Moore. He's talking to Todd McFarlane. Hey, have you read Dan Pussy? You should read Dan Pussy. Like, I feel like Klaus was almost tailoring this for for gary i could see that yeah yep would you say that uh is it, it would you say chris Ware is his direct contemporary or would you say he's a little bit later a little later yeah. yeah i didn't see him until blab an issue of blab that was like 94 i think mm-hmm, so not yeah. not too much later but he was yeah no that, that's fair mm-hmm. yeah and it when you look back at this period uh, in indie comics, there was a ton of stuff, great stuff, uh, coming out. Charles Burns, Dan Klaus, um, uh, like you said, Blab, Monty Beauchamp, or however you pronounce it. It just seemed like there was a vibrant um, explosion of indie comics that kind of paralleled the one at DC a couple of years previously. I don't mean in yeah the, that mainstream explosion that DC had in, with creativity. There seemed to be this this electricity in the indies around this time too. Love and Rockets, sure. like come on, oh, the, yeah. and Cerebus was still gro- going was still ramping up at mm-hmm. that point. So you had actual bona fide legends being birthed around this time, and it it was a a really great period. Um, was at, Panther coming around the same time, or is he? No, he's he's older earlier. than these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary Gary was maybe uh, um, eight to eight to ten years, Matthew, uh, ahead of them. Yeah, because he was doing stuff for like all weekly newspapers in the mid eighties. Yeah, because yeah. like Jimbo was was the nineties, right? I mean, that was mm, no, no Jimbo's. Well, when was the first issue of Raw? Oh, he was God. I'm looking at that now. Okay. Jim, yeah, Jimbo was 95. Yeah, I was right. Jim, oh, Jimbo wow. was 95. The, but, the but, collection was 95. No, Jimbo one through seven was. 90, no, that's 90. that's later. That's way later. That's oh. that came from uh, Zongo, so which was Got an it. offshoot of of uh, Bongo, which of course is uh, Matt Groening's company, or was. Right. Yeah, but no, Jimbo predates. I, I'm gotcha. now, okay. now you got me looking for it. Oh no, you're right. Uh, Eighty two, eighty two. Yeah, when I started. So you go. Yeah. But so I mean, like I even forgot about Raw. How do you forget about Raw? That that's like the granddaddy of, of this. Um, of I don't want to call it a movement, but you know, uh, a trend. Right. Well, I guess we can mm-hmm. call it that. But uh, yeah, it's. It, it, I love to look back and just see, like, holy crap! All this stuff came out around the same time. And it's it's the old man syndrome. Get off my lawn. We did not know how good we had it back then. Well, in particular, because it's so cliche to point to the the '90s as this dead zone of comics, right? Because because 
people use the lens of mainstream comics. So that was a really bad time. Even if you are a superhero fan, right, that time gets mocked. The '90s comics, right? Like, but 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 I think amidst that was fantastic non-mainstream comic work, like that stood the test of time. Oh yeah, there's a lot of it. I feel like a dope because I've had I bought the the Pusey collection for for this episode, but. I own the complete eight ball hardcover. Just thinking there might be some extra stuff, which of course there's an introduction, but right. There's um, an intro. Yeah. That's about it though. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered it this week too, even though I've got the collection. Yeah. So, oh, well, say <laughs> la vie. I, I, yes. you know, I should get that. But um, again, because it, it's such a pain, you know, digging through I stuff. I have two copies, so you can have one of mine for Christmas. Aww. Look at you. Why do you have two copies? Because I'm in. I'm because I'm. I'm because I have issues. <laughs> because I, <laughs> we I already know that. They, because I buy things and I have, as you know, hundreds of unopened, shrink wrapped hardcovers in my comic room that I oh. forget I own and buy them again. Well, I mean, it it's not unique to you. Um, the thing I'm. If we ever have time at the end of this episode, the thing I, I want to talk about, I have two copies of it as well because I just forget that I I bought it. I, I got it. Yeah. You know, whatever. It happens, and and we're getting older. But so back back to Pusey. Um, I always called it pussy, but I I know yeah. he's I know he said well if that's the way that word should read. Sure. Right, but he always says Pusey. You know, he corrects people constantly in in the, mm-hmm. in the comic. It's Pusey. as it that and the it's it's perfect for the character because he's he's striving to be seen as as something uh, to be celebrated and and have his talent recognized and just transforming the name to Pusey gives it an air of elegance, right? And and worldliness. And he has absolutely no world experience at all. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing that's so sharp about Klaus's writing in this is that, you know, he, he uses something like that to represent um, probably what was a lifetime of just torment for this poor kid. Mm-hmm. Not only because of his name, but because of who he was and the stuff he was into. So yeah, the, by the time he gets the chance to, uh, you know, reinvent himself a little bit, you know, that becomes a big part of it for sure. Yeah. But he I, doesn't make it life any easier on himself though. No, that's true. Because when the two girls, Hey, you draw really well. Can you do a picture or can you, can you draw <laughs> a poster for our, our dance or whatever? A Valentine's Day dance. And he does a fucking superhero, you know, attacking shit. Like, yeah. And they're like, uh, yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, real quick, I know we keep derailing this, but I went to school with a kid who was a grade below me. And they, uh, the, the um, uh, yearbook committee asked him to draw some pictures for the, uh, uh, the yearbook. And he drew, he took Arthur Adams' X-Men covers and use those to draw like a football player. But I knew that it was Colossus and <laughs> that he had um, our, our mascot was the Wildcat and it was the Sabretooth from the classic <laughs> X-Men cover with Kazar on it. Oh, boy. So, yeah, there were oh, people Zabu like that in real Zabu life. Zabu was the name of it. Wait, yeah, he yeah, yeah, he yeah. would be a great comic artist because he's uh, adept at the swipe early yeah, on. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, th- it's, By the uh, way, Dan, Dan Pousset looks. Uh, well, let me say it the other way. Napoleon Dynamite looks like Dan Pousset. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. And, like, and 
I'm guessing that was not by by accident, right? Like, I, I don't know for that for sure. But after reading this, which obviously came out way before Napoleon Dynamite was ever made, I thought, oh, okay, so that's why, like, either consciously or subconsciously, the the writer of, of Napoleon Dynamite had to be a fan of this work. It's I, there's this is you're probably right, but um, Puse also looks a lot like my previous manager. At, at the college so th- this is this is a look that just it yeah it's you look at the cover of this collection and it absolutely looks like homeboy from napoleon dynamite but uh as i'm reading it as, as i was reading the going through the stories i'm like this this just fucking looks like peter and i, I couldn't shake it. it it was bugging me throughout the entire thing the most infuriating thing about this book to me is that to a man, we don't get too much insight into um, what is what is he called, Gary Groth, Mister Anger. We don't get too much um, insight into his manipulative tendencies. I, I mean, the brothers Hernandez come in, and you know they did work for him, so he does exploit to a, a, an extent his uh, creative people. But the thing that bothers me the most about this book is how the creative act which to me is sacred. I don't think there's anything on this in this existence more, um, I don't even know the word I would use, but it, it, it is, I think it is the pinnacle of, of human achievement is to create something, a painting, a song, a comic, whatever. You, it's like abiogenesis. You've created something that will implant itself into the minds, in, into the memories of people who view it forever, if you're, you know, whatever the case. And it's the creative process is exploited to hell in this uh, book. Um, and, and the people that do the exploiting make it seem like they're giving the people they exploit a gift by allowing them to produce for them. Um, what does Dr. Infinity say? Uh, you, you've been given the privilege of working within your chosen field. And he gets pissed off when Dan ask, asks about his paycheck. Like, are we going to mm-hmm. get paid for this? And it just it bring, gives me the douche chill because I can list, give me a roll of toilet paper, and I probably will fill it with with the instances at the design and advertising studios at which I've worked in the past, these things pop up all the time where uh, whoever's in charge will find some kind of cockamamie reason why you're not getting paid or you should be thankful that you have a job. And the, the artist is the one that's giving these people the raw material to make money. And it just, it drives me crazy. It's like, we, we list our pet peeves. That's got to be number one on my, my list of pet peeves is those that exploit creative people to make money from their efforts. Drives me absolutely fucking ape shit. Mm-hmm. I, I had that happen in high school where a guy came in the comic book store and he saw some of my art on the side of a short box and he said he was starting a t-shirt company. So he had me come up with a bunch of designs and he had them printed up and he had flyers, put ads in magazines and he made all these deals with local record shops. And he told me, he's like, well, you know, I'll pay you after I pay everybody else. (sighs) And at the time I was 16 and I was just excited that anybody wanted my art and I was getting, you know, a couple free t-shirts. But, you know, I thought about it after the fact. It's like, okay, so the 
the t-shirt printer gets paid. The people that printed the flyer get paid. The record store, when they sell it, they take their cut. And they like, why am I the last person getting paid when I'm the first person to do the work? Exactly. And it's all my, you know, creative input in this. So I learned very early on that there were people like that out there. Yeah. And it, you see it in many different forms. You get the old, well, the advertisers haven't paid. So yeah. we, we don't have the revenue to pay the people that actually produced whatever the periodical or, or whatever it was. Or um, the thing that kills me is food. Whenever, you know, the head of whatever you're working gives you food on a regular oh, basis. Yeah. Oh, it's Pizza Friday. Yep. Uh, you're never going to get a raise, but goddamn, you'll get pizza every Friday. And it's like, we had a good week. I'm going to get two trays. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm, I made $12,000 for you today. And mm-hmm. thanks for the pizza. <laughs> this is, and it kills me that the, the creative process is just not demeaned, but it, it's, it seems it's regarded as an insignificant thing by the majority of, of the population. Like they don't, there's no value in the, the, the process of creating the painting. And we'll put it on a T-shirt, like the people online who who just troll artists and steal their work and make T-shirts from it. Like it's the same thing. The, the, it's it's almost insignificant the the expenditure of creative energy that you put into this thing. I'm just going to take it and use it to make money. Like, oof. Well, this is always see that, but this is there's a lens for this for that that affects everybody, right? Because I we know lots of people that unapologetically. Uh, you know, torrent movies sure. and TV shows, yeah. and like, and I've, I've often, I've often, and I mean, my own, my own college son will say something effective like, "Well, that's a victimless crime because no. it's, <laughs> it's because it's just it's taking money out of a of a multi billion dollar corporation." And like, I'm like, "Well, no, 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 you fair is fair. Like, either either stealing the art artistic creation, like it shouldn't matter who." who the benefactor is, right, economically speaking. Because there were still, to your point, like how many animators were involved in that making that right. film. Right, exactly. Like, like who, who do make a living from that and do need, like, and whether they're happy or not or whether they're the net beneficiaries or not is not really relevant because they are part of the ecosystem and it is vital to them that their work be sold and not stolen. Um, so, yeah, like, like it's it's weird. Like, and we, like we've, t- we've talked about this before. Like, there are these weird like one of my issues with comics is that it's because of the the nature of it it's they're small data files which is why pirating is so random it's very easy to 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 steal steal comics you don't need to torrent you know it's a multi-second download for most people if you have you know developed nation style internet and um and, and yet like these sites which are you know put up everything within seconds of of, of the comics hitting the shelves there are certain creators and certain publishers that they don't generally do that for and to, you know, not for, but to with the auspices of like, Oh, well, you know, they're like, they're real G's. Like you don't want to mess with them. And it's like, mm, like, I don't know, man. Like, is it like, like, I guess it's, I guess like, it seems really, really weird to me that like you would draw an arbit that not you, but I'm saying like, like people that would, would draw an arbitrary line. Like, like I'm not going to steal from, from you know Terry Moore because he self publishes, but 
I'm gonna drop all the you know vault comics on there in two seconds. Like, like it's it's no, you know what I'm saying? Like it's not, but but like sure, Vault is a corporation, but I would bet dollars to donuts that the people involved at Vault, and particularly the people that create the comics, make less on their comics than Terry Moore does, right? But like, there's this perception of like, oh, corporation, it's okay, yeah. but like individual creator, it's not. It's a really, it's very obtuse to me because I live in both worlds, as you know. I mean, I'm very much, I live in a world of, of I mean, I I invest in and then I guess by all accounts an expert and corporations and corporate structures so like to me i don't get why you would to me the the the, the delineation is very arbitrary it's like oh i'll steal from walmart right but i'm not going to ever steal from my local bookstore like i mean well like i don't steal i'm stealing but it, yeah. and and we have we mr we, a would tell you that's the case yes <laughs> we we we're, we're we're friends with creators on on both sides and, and you know it's it's weird it's it's not necessarily an all for one thing regardless of, of, of whether you're doing your own stuff for Image, or you're working for Marvel or DC, or for Dark Horse, but we do know some creators who are like, okay, so someone pirated my work, at least they're reading it. I'm glad they're enjoying it. And then you have others who are just like, no, buy my shit. So it's, it's even when the creators themselves, you're not sure, it's like, well, yeah, obviously it's already on the site, so somebody did the work, but still, you, you, we, we know people who, on one hand, they're just like, I want people to read my work. Whether they can afford it or not, at least they're reading it. But then you have others who were just like, I did this, I got paid for it, I'd like to keep getting paid for it, please buy my shit. It, 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 it's crazy. I think there's another facet to it as well, which is that whenever you say something is free, it's automatically devalued in people's minds. Yeah, you know, you can, get, mm-hmm. you can get free napkins at the yeah. McDonald's up the street. So a, a free comic is almost the same thing. And I've been in conversations with other creators where – they don't mind if their work gets pirated and they say, well, you know, some people can't afford to buy a $24 graphic novel. So this is the only way they can read it. And I used to buy gray market videos, which is where somebody would bootleg a video and they'd sell it for 15 or 20 bucks. And the, it was under the, um, uh, it was called the burn act or something where if it wasn't officially released in the United States, it wasn't technically covered under copyright law. That was how they got around that. Well, I would get these catalogs in the mail and I'd spend, you know, an hour or two trying to figure out which videos I wanted to buy and I'd get them and I'd watch the entire movie because I had to pay for it. Even if I didn't really like the movie, I would just watch it till the end. Now with streaming, if I don't like something, I turn it off after five minutes. I don't give movies their full due because mm-hmm. I'm not paying for it technically. It's like, yeah, it's nothing. I'll just watch something else. And I think that's what gets lost sometimes when you when you give something away for free or you pirate it is the idea that I'm not going to you know give this the, the time that it needs to really take it in as a piece of art. It's just a throwaway thing. Yeah. I mean, that that is it. Now we're getting into the uh... – it's interesting because this book obviously came out decades ago, but but what but but that that debate is now I think omnipresent because we're in a world now where the concept of content, which is is more derogatorily called well, or more more I guess technical IP these days, is like we are at a time now where creators are getting, in many cases, life changing money for their ideas for their mm-hmm. quote unquote IP, which is great, right? Like I think we'd all agree, like that's great, like more like you know what if you ever get a chance to grab a huge life-changing bag for canker i would salute you what like sure. again and if, you, and if it's something you don't want to do for like that's your bag but it's like it's your that's your decision but like but there are a lot of creators and we know many of them personally who are making 
like for the first time in their lives, incredible money off of their efforts, which is awesome. But at the same time, because of the nature of of, of the digitalization and uh, and streaming and internet proliferation, content as a whole has never been more commoditized. Oh, sure. Like 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 everything that gets produced now that is intended to have eyeballs or or ear or or listen or listen to is listened to or seen by far fewer people than it would have been at any other time that we had these mediums. Right? Like like no matter what the thing is, whether it be the biggest movie or the most popular TV show or you know, the art house film or the novel, they are being consumed by a significantly smaller number of humans than they ever have been in the past. But there's so much content now that like people in the aggregate are consuming more yeah. than they ever have. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Like this, well, this that's, become niche. Everything's become niche. We're going so far afield of the book and I, I apologize for continuing that, but that's a current argument that's happened. Well, it's not an argument. I just see people upset with Instagram right now. Artists are upset and say, well, you know, my followers aren't seeing my work because, you know, now there's a lot more ads or whatever. And I started thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, I know people that follow me that also follow 7,500 other accounts. They would have to be on Instagram all day long to see all of that content. There's billions of images hosted on that platform right now. And so if 10% of your followers see your stuff, that's probably about as many as possibly could given the time that they have in their day to be looking at Instagram. So to your point, like there is so much content, it's it's very hard to find enough eyes to make it worthwhile to you know spend most of your life trying to create content. Yeah, yeah. I think it all goes back to, and we'll get back to the book real soon. I think it all goes back to the fact that the advent of digital technology has sped up human existence almost to a point where we can't handle it. It's like we're in the vault. A little X-Men reference there. Right. Um, again, Hyper-evolution. old man syndrome. Back in the day, if you wanted something, whether it was a gray market video or uh, an indie zine. Or there, comic card, Vince, like to go, like my, my, my bag, right? Like right. same thing as comic card. If you wanted it, you had to like figure out if it existed, figure out who to contact, you'd hope you stumble upon it, and you were probably the only one looking to buy it. Right. And yeah. But this stuff would be relegated to the back pages in whatever it was that you bought focused on whatever it was you loved and you had to scour the ads and that mm -hmm. took time. And that was a glorious experience as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and, and even the, there was an aesthetic quality to the ads as well. Some were horribly drawn, but those are the ones they remember the most, right? Like mm -hmm. video search of Miami. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. But the, 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 just the process, it made you stop and peruse and consider you it wasn't just swipe 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 you know click 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 it, you had to actually consider the environment in which you were steeped now it, everybody's just thrown into this pot of stuff and it's it's overwhelming and there's no coming back for this from this well i i do see there's a there are a lot more trends in in viewing and in consumer habits so like you know the movie mandy comes out it seems like everybody's talking about Mandy for a week. Everybody's watching that movie. Right. 
that's what's happening as opposed to, you know, I would buy an issue of Psychotronic and I'd check off movies I wanted to try to find at my local video stores. And, and I didn't know anybody else in the world who was watching that stuff. But now it's like, oh, they're watching Mandy. I better watch it too. That That's more of what you see happening. Right. I wish I lived by you because we would be watching shit every night. <laughs> because you guys I, watch parties. I did that. the same Psychotronic yeah. uh, pilgrimage myself. I mean, I actually went to the store. Mm-hmm. In 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 New York City and talked well it whatever uh, but it, in it, it it was oh I have these three issues that I didn't have before let me see what else I can search for now right it, a it, lot it, of our patrons right now Vince are sit, sitting there saying how about that movie night how about that movie night <laughs> um and, and we will and um where you just you totally distracted me but uh and and, and the same thing went, went for comics if if you were a huge comics fan you got the comics buyer's guide everybody did because aside from the local comic shop that was the only place you could get back issues mm-hmm. and the time from ordering sending out the letter or calling some of them did you know uh, very few did did phone orders but you would actually send a physical letter indicating what issues you wanted send it out and you'd like mm-hmm, and you'd wait for it and it would take like whatever a month or something but when that package came whoa now it's just uh, it, it, with me and magic cards i can order 20 magic cards on a on a tuesday i have them by like thursday or friday oh for sure it's insane it's just crazy but but and i i wish i had a magic wand and just was able to slow shit down and when you said the cancor movie Matthew, how about this? If I had a magic wand, I would give you a movie deal. Number one, that that would be the big thing. Number two, I would revive Bruce Bickford from the dead and make him animate your Cancor movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm all for it. <laughs> that would be great. But anyway, <laughs> back back to the Poussey. But um, there's one section, uh, and, and I thought this would get Dap going. That's why I'm mentioning it, where – um, I forget who it was. One of one of his pencilers says, I'm done with the pages. And uh, Dr. Infinity says, wait a minute, I got to put my name on it. Yep. And send it to the engravers. <laughs> when was the last time you heard engravers? <laughs> and and uh, he the, the pencilers like, do you think maybe I could put like my name on it one of these times? He's like, no, 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 unacceptable. Like, and Dap is real big on credit. Like he, this, this gentleman wouldn't get any extra in his paycheck. But the fact that his name was on it, that's all he wanted. And Infinity wouldn't even let him have that. Yep. Yeah. And it was it was during the uh, the Dr. Infinity story. But yeah, he, he says, uh, maybe I could get my byline on one of my stories. And he's like, eh, it doesn't really matter because, you know, we don't want to confuse our readers. And that's... Yeah, that's it. Like when we... When, when, you know, it didn't take long for... And I, I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this as well. I, I know with Vince specifically, but it didn't take long, I think, for any of us to start to realize who drew what, or we would actually see, and we would try to figure out, okay, is this, is this a Perez book? Is this a Byrne book? Is this a Starlin book? And, and it wouldn't, we, you know, not even a page or two in without even looking at the credits, you could look at the cover and be like, okay, well, I'm not going to drew this. And, and it, it's, it's, the fact that somebody like this does exist and and did maybe still does but you know thinks that 
the readers are so dumb. They're just buying the stuff. They don't care who's drawing it, who's reading it, who's 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 writing it. They just want it because we're putting it out. And and it it just yeah, you're right, Vince. It, it absolutely that 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 whole that that whole trip down memory lane as he's talking about the people from his bullpen. It it just but yeah, it it's uh, could I could I maybe get credit? It's like no no no. We don't, I mean it's I'm the 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 page rate that I'm doing right now. You'd never know that Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito are drawing these books. It's all Wonder Woman by, by, you know, most, and, and that's it. There's no credits anywhere. You don't know who's writing it. You don't know who's drawing it. And for a long time, that's what it was, is Batman by Bob Kane. It was Superman by Siegel and Schuster, even though, you know, Wayne Boring was drawing those issues. And, and it's, it, I understand that that was the industry at the time and that was the business, but it it, it angers me that, you know, the people would just, they, they were getting paid. They didn't care because it was disposable entertainment. But the fact that, you know, there are people who would pick up, if, if you go through an omnibus from, the, from the, the golden age and, you know, you just, you think that Siegel and Schuster did all these Superman stories. And yeah. It's so well, not the case. I, there is- I would posit that, I would posit that, that, that because we're so, it's such an incestuous insular niche industry. We're like super focused on that. And I think deservedly so. I mean, we're all, we're all big proponents of, of, of creators getting their, their credit, but like extend that to other parts of your life. Like who, like who clamors to, to make sure that the people who coded Slack get their credit. Who, yeah, who who who, who invented who cl- the Oreo cookie? Yeah, who who yeah. who gets who gets upset because because the person who you know drew Buzz Lightyear, the model of Buzz Lightyear doesn't get credit. Like like the like it's just, oh it's a Pixar film directed you know or maybe you know the director right? Maybe it's like John Lasseter or Brad Bird. Like you know that you're like oh that's that movie's directed by but but you so no so it's, it's interesting. Ages, it's interesting. Right. Like we we don't like. And again, I'm not trying to dismiss it because I think we all rap hard for comic creators getting their love. And if, but but like we don't worry or fret about that with almost any other form of entertainment that we consume. Like we don't we don't like like we're, we're you know, Dap, you and I are big wrestling fans. We don't we don't say like, well, damn, like who's who's the who who who's who who deserves credit for that for that storyline? Like who's the who's who's the uh, who's the agent for that storyline right. with MJF? Yeah. Like like I, like it's it's not MJF coming up with all that. Right. Like there's 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 a. There's there's someone behind the scenes. There's an agent that's 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 laying all that out. Like we don't we don't get up in arms like damn like like can't they say like can't we know who 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 came up with that idea? Like we're just like oh no that's that's behind the curtain stuff. So like I I don't like I don't know that it's it's it is again like there's so much about the comics and this book it's getting back to the book. There's so much about the comics industry relative to fandom that is absurd relative to any other fandom. Like even. Even music, where people—I mean, Vince probably loves music as much as comics, believe it or not. I know most people find it hard to believe that don't know him personally. No, because of the family time you spend with comics. I, I but, do. Yeah, but but like we don't clamor about that with music, right? Like we don't like 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 yes, maybe there are some hardcores out there. Maybe Vince is even one. It's like, oh damn, like dude didn't get credit for being the bassist on that on that track. But it's like generally speaking, the vast majority of fans, even those that consider themselves diehard fans of the music. Don't lose their minds because the 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 horn section didn't get the love on the album by liner notes. You right. Know? Well, like there, we there just, was we just accepted. It's just like, oh, it is what it is. Like, true. It's, it's that's true. But there was an outcry during the rise of sampling. 
where it's like, whoa, yeah, you, yeah. come on, you're using this Parliament sample or, or Funkadelic sample in your song? Like, let's give these guys a little bit of credit and or money for it's 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 the bedrock of your song, and you did not. Money. The Rolling gets that money. Well, true, true. That's yeah, very. There, true. Uh, but but I think the publishing, I should say. It it also it's it's I don't want to say it's all relative, but but I think we have to. We know, we know Mike Norton. We know. You know, Phil Hester. We know well, that's what I'm saying. Are, it's because comics like, so it's is one, to one Right. So it's just we that we know it's drawing that entire thing. book. Yeah. But we don't know, you know, we don't know all the CGI artists or everybody who worked the craft food service table oh. when, you know, when, when Knives Out was being made. And, well, and that's... Let's give Stan Lee some credit in that he was very... Uh, he he really wanted to promote his artists by giving them nicknames. And, you know, this is presented by these five people. And... I know his name was above all, but he he was somewhat willing to shine a spotlight on the other creators in that regard. That may have even started before with like William Gaines. He was very much about like, yeah, I got a great stable of artists. I want people to know who Ghastly Graham Ingalls is. That his name is going to be on the cover. That was important to those guys. Very true. And stop being so level headed. But um, <laughs> as we say, talk about grinding the shoe to a halt. No, that's no, you, I got to give credit. I but mean, I, 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 he also he made it he he made it more friendly. Even as big as a DC fan as I am, yes, in the sixties and the seventies, it was stuffy. They were all you know. I I could imagine the guy showing up to work to work on DC Comics in New York wearing a suit and tie. Whereas I know. The dudes came in wearing the flared bell bottoms and the white yeah, colored yep, shirts, sure. not yep. caring about it. The Marvel, so it was just it was a completely different vibe. Stan tapped into that. Yeah, we, we've, we've I mean we've to the college yeah. folks. It was, yeah, uh, Carmine just debated didn't. the Stanley uh, uh, mythos quite a bit over the years, and, and I, I think obviously we all have different takes on it. But I, I, I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, believe that like most human beings, Stan had deep flaws worthy of great derision and criticism and also did a lot of really awesome things for a lot of people. And I, Very I think true. Those are not mutually exclusive. Um, and I think that's most human beings, right? Like most human beings have done horrible shit that they deeply regret and should apologize for and have generally also done amazing things for people. So it's just, that's just the nature right. of them. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Infinity is, is called a, a, a huckster and uh you know a a a carnival barker in in a sense that's exactly what stan was yes, right sure. but stan was smart enough to cultivate that familiarity that 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 uh casual uh clubhouse familiarity that i as a, as a kid at that time i was like wow these guys are all friends it's like the right. band, the bands all live together, right? Of course. Um, and you see that in, in Pusey where he, he makes all of the new bullpen live together. Yeah. They're in, they're in freaking bunk beds, right? And he makes them live together, eat together, it's work like together. Gen and shit. Right. Yeah. All, so, all so they're, yes. but that's, I think that was partly done so he can keep an eye on them. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah, it was like, like but yeah. but it was there was a, a a dual purpose and it also played into that Stanley you know everybody's friends here and we're all buddies and we create together and the bullpen's a rocking place and we have you know pizza every Friday but um, let's list the names of the uh, the <laughs> Infinity Comics uh, bullpen going in 
we have, of course, Dan Pousset is 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 a penciler, as is <laughs> Mr. Dick Small. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Dick Sprang, by the way. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, inkers are Helmut Zucker and Toothbrush Fukuda. <laughs> uh, and we got Chick Dugendorf, uh, a.k.a. what, they call him Douchebag? Yeah. Uh, he's yeah, a letterer. Yeah. yeah. And but the thing, the appellation that um, Doctor Infinity apl- applies to this group, he calls them scratchers because they're scratching at the potential of the medium. I think this is the one thing, one of the things that Doctor Infinity gets right when he says we are myth makers. That is so true. the 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 concept lives far beyond the lifespan of these creators and we're looking at it right now with this the the marvel cinematic universe there are children for which the avengers movies that's their star wars like they are never going to let these movies go and and they're going to carry the concepts and what they the images with them forever like so kirby was to me the ultimate myth maker like he is creating things of legend that have sunk their talons into me us from from very early ages and we will never ever let that go that's powerful shit and and here you got this guy just exploiting it but he realizes the staying power of these these ideas and these concepts yeah he's going to tell them he has a meeting with a publisher and go hang out with hookers or strippers or whatever it was uh so the do the double speak is throughout this book from Doctor Infinity, and I think the, the 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 pinnacle of that is during the award ceremony in in his his solo story, where he's regaling the audience or the crowd with these these tales of of publishing, tall tales of publishing, and the truth couldn't be farther away from his fiction, mm-hmm. and you see it in the eyes of the people about which he's speaking like they look at him and they some of them want to tear him apart others are too old and and you know over the edge to even connect with what he's saying and it's just i it's just that that chapter is to me it's devastating because it, it it's it's a nutshell of exactly how this this medium at least on the financial side the money making side that's how this stuff works and it always has, and I think it always will, which is sad again because I, I keep going back to the 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 creative process, which is a sacred thing, and and these guys just feel the need to just exploit it. Even um, what's his name, Gummo Bubbleman, <laughs> who, <laughs> and it was very very canny of Dan Klaus to have Gummo be the editor-in-chief or the publisher of an anthology called Emperor's New Clothes. That was brilliant. Um, and, and, and Gummo is, of course, Art Spiegelman. And he comes from the, the, the uh, standpoint that artists need to suffer for their art. There's no great art without suffering. And, you know, the more they suffer, the better the art. And, and I don't know if, if you can go into that arena, what with Spiegelman having created Mouse, which is one of the all-time greatest, but it's a book about suffering. 
suffering yeah. is at its core, right? So I, I think that that was one of the more brilliant. I mean, the whole thing's brilliant, but one of the more uh, electric uh, representations that Klaus uh, injects into this book. Uh, any opinions on that? I mean, if you call yourself the infant terribly uh, terrible, like that, you're a, you're a douchebag. <laughs> if that if those words come out of your mouth in relate in regards to yourself, there's something really off with you, right? I, um, this brings up a point that you uh, you gents who have read this back when it was coming out, and uh, and Matthew, it looks like you at least have or, or recently like revisited some of the old interviews and stuff. Yeah. What was the industry's reaction to this stuff at the time? Because 20 years later, we can read this, and admittedly, we're all super nerds about this stuff, but we can know who Dan is talking about, who he's mocking. But it, it just, it, 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 I'm sure it read and felt different in the moment, right? Like, like, like when a, when a person gets a diss track and rap against them, like in the moment, like they're heated, they may look back and like laugh at it, but they're in the moment, they're heated. So, like, how did how did all of these other industry powerhouses, including, you know, I mean, maybe Stan didn't give a shit one or the other, but like almost everybody he sends up were alive and well and still involved in the industry at, at this time. Was there ever any indication as to whether people felt some kind of way or, or thought Klaus was a blowhard or told him to go fuck himself? Like, I'm just wondering, like, was it or did they all just think it was funny and laugh it off? Was it, do we know of, of how anyone reacted to it? Well, I know McFarlane claimed to not have seen it. Um, Alan Moore was all about it. Alan Moore was a huge proponent of, of uh, Eight Ball and Klaus in particular. Um, in terms of like the people he was specifically aiming at, I, I think he had a pretty good relationship with Art Spiegelman because he did end up in a later – or no, sorry, he was in Weirdo. I don't know if he was ever in Raw. Do you know Vince? Klaus? I, no, I don't think he was in Raw. Okay. Yeah. Definitely um, definitely weirdo though. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I I I know that in the interview with Groth he asked Klaus like, "Do you ever feel the need to be like a Dave Sim and go out and speak publicly about this stuff cuz clearly you you have you're passionate about it and you care about this um the subject?" of creator rights and things like that. And um, Klaus is like, no, nah, I just, I don't want to rub anybody the wrong way. <laughs> so I feel like in some ways it was put out low key. Like he knew there wasn't a huge readership for this stuff. Gary, like I said, was very adamant about pushing this on people and saying, you need to read this book because he's taking aim at all these things that are problematic in the industry right now. Um, but I don't think I've ever read, you know, any, any of these other people, like he's got somebody in here who i I feel like is Robert Williams in oh, the, exactly. uh, I was the thinking, juxtaposed section. Right. That's and, exactly and, what I – like Frank Kozik. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I know that Klaus has been pretty insular. Like he doesn't – he 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 has a, a, a group of friends that he hangs out with and talks – well, Richard Sala was one who just recently passed away. Yeah. But um, he uh, – I don't think he was too concerned about pissing people off because he just thought I'm never going to interact with these people anyways, so right. why not? Yep. And I thought it was brilliant that he inserted himself into the story as well. That the mm. last, the last, um, I think it's the last page 
when uh, in the nursing home where somebody says, where'd you get that pencil? Is that a graphite pencil? And he's, he's sitting there drawing. That is an, an elderly Dan Klaus. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apropos of nothing, Dan Klaus is a dude who looks better at 60 than he did at 30. <laughs> it's the eyes. He's got those eyes. And he's just fit he now, and like he's got the, you know the bald head works now with the gray hair. Like it's, it, the whole thing works now. It's just, it look you know he was a pretty goofy looking dude back in his prime, but but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he's he's aged well. But uh, again, Yummy Fur came out almost concurrently oh, wow. with uh, Eight Ball, and it's just again to, to just think of all of the the legendary series that were coming out around the same time. Yeah, it just it it spins your head around. Well, Vince, do you know who Mr. Eunuch is supposed to be? Interesting. He's the guy that runs the con. At right. The, end of the first story. Um, who was the the big uh, con promoter in the in the in the eighties and nineties? Um, it oh. wasn't. It wasn't Sheldon. I was just gonna say Sheldon. Right? No, oh. it was. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It was. I, I would guess. The uh, the creation cons were were huge, so that's what yeah, whoever that is. Yeah, we can just look that up around. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's just so many inside uh, things. Like the the juxtapose chapter is particularly scathing because it's just like, um, yeah, I used your some of your images in my art, my art. Um, come on down the gallery and see him. And he goes down the gallery and um, he's stunned that, you know, these things are selling for like three, four thousand dollars $4,000. And he's like, yeah, give, you know, he gets some of his pages and brings them back to the gallery. But by that time, the trend has moved on into another direction. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it, it's so, he's knocked down another peg. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I appreciated that because I guess I have a... a a more intimate insight than some of these other things. Like I'm not a comic creator, obviously, but like having dealt with the fine art market and, and the auction market because of, you know, work stuff. I, I, I laugh because I'm like, Oh, that is so true. Like modern art is so ridiculously fickle in that way, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought that that was very, I, that, I found that, that chapter charming. I, I, th- I think uh, the most heartbreaking thing um, next to, the way he was treated by his parents um, is the chapter when he goes, he takes a class on how to write and the mm. teacher, Mrs. Failure, <laughs> she suggests that he drop the silly superheroes and spaceships and write from his own personal experience. And meanwhile, he's falling in love with her. Because it's a woman and she's showing him some attention. So, of course, he's going to fall in love with her. Um, you know, you should write from what you know. Take your life experience and, and, and transfer that to the page. And he can't even create his own comics based on real life experience because he doesn't have any. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking that this guy just lives in this insul- insular world of of superhero comics and he doesn't want anything more than that but even when he tries to actually step outside of that corner he can't even do that like it seems like he was just made for the one thing doing superhero comics and he does it well because he's celebrated in this book 
Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's the fascinating thing about Pusey being a doppelganger for Dan Klaus. I mean, they have the same name or first name. Um, and again, you know, he specifically says this was the path I was on and I luckily got out of that. But uh, recently, I think earlier this year, or late last year, uh, Dan Klaus took his entire childhood comic book collection and traded it to Chicago Comics. Wow. And he like traded, I don't know, 10, 15 short boxes for like 12 old um, Golden Age comics. And they're selling them now. And they have all of his original uh, labels that he would put on them. So he would have, he would grade the book. He had a list of all the creators. He would say what characters appear in each issue. <laughs> and he has nicknames. So he called Submariner Subby. Now, even at the depth of my comic fandom as an adolescent, I never gave nicknames to any superheroes. Like, I didn't, I didn't call Spider-Man Spidey or anything like that. But <laughs> he clearly was obsessed with this stuff as a teenager. Right. And I think when he, you know, when he has Dan Puse locked into this, like, he just can't get into reality. He's so He's so deep into this fantasy world. I think that's Klaus reflecting on how he was as an adolescent. Like he, he clearly cared a lot about this stuff to the point where it was his whole life. And I think once he got out of that, it's like, you know, I remember when my parents quit smoking, you know, they had been smoking since they were like 14 and they quit in their mid thirties. And then they just hated smoking after that. They hated the smell of it. They hated when people lit up next to them and, but it was like that was their life for a long time. And so I think this is so reactionary of him to to have a story like that where it's difficult for a human being to just write about their own experiences because they had just been locked in a fantasy world forever. Right. It's true. Um, but as we've seen, some of the best writers can take – even the most innocuous event and and make it a full-blown story, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone can do that. Oh, sure. Life experience or not. It, 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 it takes someone, again, a pinch of salt, born with the ability mm-hmm. to, to do that. And I just think Dan uh, uh, Pusey, he just he had that ability like what makes you as a child want to draw comic books what is that do do you look at the art and say wow i wish i could do that or these are so is it the energy infused within the work that that is contagious to the point where you want to produce that energy too like the that's one of the things that how do we as as creative people how do we decide when, whenever we decide that that's what we want to do is, is make art because it's not a very rewarding field, you know? And, and I see it like my, from my home life, like two of my children want to go into the art field. And I think it's a great idea. The other half, not so much. Like you're going to starve. Mm. They, you know, whatever. And, um, what is it about the creative process that makes, potential creators want to do it what what made you want to be um uh, an illustrator comic book artist cartoonist (laughs) for me it was um 
I think the first time I understood that people, human beings, made art was my mom replicated a Frank Frazetta painting of Gollum. Wow. She did it in oil pastel. So I watched her do this, and I'm seeing her pick out the colors, and she's doing highlights, and she matched it in my memory pretty well. I mean, I was young. I was maybe four or five. Um, but it was magic to me. Right. And I, I remember uh, the artist Coop was interviewed by Mark Marin, and he said art was magic. And I never really thought about it that way, but you know, the fact that you can put lines on paper, mix colors, and then suddenly this image appears um in any art show on pbs where you could watch somebody draw there was a show called uh, read it and a guy would read you a passage from a story like the secret garden and then he would illustrate a scene in like colored pencil and i was just mesmerized by that so i think you know, those were moments and i know for dan klaus like he was obsessed with certain uh ink strokes like if he saw a rounded shoulder um, that somebody like Chickstone uh, uh, inked um, or Wayne Boring or somebody like that. He was just like, how did they do that? I have to, to learn how to replicate that. Yeah. I totally agree with the notion that art is magic. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's really, I'm, what other word do you use to describe it? Right. Well, you have yeah. a tattoo that says "Art is everything," so. it, and it is. And and I, I I tell my students that you are embarking on the greatest profession profession anyone could could do. Like, yeah, we need doctors. Medicine is important, and and you know, you financial rats are great too. But <laughs> come on, we're not great. I'm just a bit. But to, to actually create something, and and be able to infuse the product of your of your mind and your hands into the consciousness of another human being let alone like scores of human beings like that i shouldn't use that as as you know that oh yeah you people will remember you but it, we all have something to say and th that's why you embark upon a career in art anyway because you want whatever it is you have to say be it silent or with words or with music you you want to transfer that to other people right and it's just, I, what other word do you use in magic? It's crazy. It, it has to be magic. If such a thing exists. But anyway. Um, we didn't talk about the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad. Like, it's, <sighs> bad luck schleprock. Um, in, in one section, word... Uh, back at the old uh, high school or, or hometown is gets around that that dan is a successful human being this the stuff he is producing is is making him a good living and so one of the girls that originally shunned him back in high school the homecoming queen you know hmm, she she's an enterprising young lass and they get married um and the, uh, she, well, they coexist, and she dresses up in costume for him, and seemingly, it, you know, the relationship is quote working. But when when Dan, um, when the the publisher has no longer use for Dan, and he's relegated to a copy editor, she uh, she flies the coop, and of course takes you know the lion's share of uh, 
of Dan's uh, wealth. And again, the uh, just another another uh, cosmic kick in the the nuts to Dan Pusey, who is not getting any anymore, and is now alone as he's pretty much always been a, a singular existence. It's sad. Is that the half page story you were talking about? No, that the half no, page. It's the death of it's, it's the yeah. Last the it's it's towards the end. The half page story is oh oh, oh okay yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's he's with a hot blonde, and um, he, she's asking if he ever read Chekhov, and of course he thinks yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, and she's like, "No, you idiot! I'm talking Anton Chekhov, one of the greatest writers <laughs> of all time." And she goes into detail, and it ends with the uh, the old crumb falling out of the panel, you know, foot, feet up. Uh, yeah, it's a cute little story, but it just, it shows the, the, the mindset of Dan. It's, it's either science fiction or, or, or superheroes. That's it. It's all that is worth thinking about, really. He's like, oh, well. <laughs> the masturbation fantasy is fun, too. Oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, he thinks so highly of himself. But he's he's with a woman, yeah. or he's he's pleasuring himself to the 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 mental image of a woman, and and the story you know goes in certain <laughs> directions. But he finds a box of comics in an alley. He's like, holy crap! There's these two issues. I need to complete well, my run. Like he knows what comics are, whereas you know he only he has some idea of what an attractive woman is. But then because he can't, he hasn't been with one. Like as soon as. The, the the memory starts to go fleeting. He he's now picturing his mom or some some other slightly more robust, unattractive woman. That's and, that's uh, Bruce Sally's sister. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cautionary tale, it really is. Like you know, you got to diversify in life. <laughs> I gotta, listen, I I I, I got to give. Dan, a, a, a ton of credit because I can just smell the mothballs on Doctor Infinity. It it's it's yeah. it comes off the page. It's it's insane how he can bring these characters and just they my my my, my small little time with them. I they they they're very much alive. Whether it's the bullpen, whether it's you know all all the old timers in Infinity's story when he's handing out awards whether it's it's um you know slugger onions it doesn't matter who it, it it's like there's there's life in all of these characters and 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 it, in some cases it, even for, just for a throwaway gag i just it i it's weird that you know in less than 60 pages i i had feel how I felt about some of the characters in this in in, in this collection. Well, I'm kind of glad you mentioned that because I don't know if, if you guys feel the same way, but Doctor Infinity, up to a certain point, is almost ageless. Like Dan is 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 developing, you know, he's aging, but Infinity doesn't. Like, yeah, we get flashbacks in in that one story to the the way he looked in different eras. But for the most part, he pretty much stays a constant yeah. throughout the whole thing. Like he he he's you know he he doesn't walk with you can't you can't see the visible signs of aging over the course of these chapters. At least I can't. 
Well, and it's interesting, too, that he doesn't wear the toupee when he's in the bullpen. Right. He doesn't right. care if those guys see him without his hair. Yeah. And it just seems like that that there, there's some kind of commentary there that these these entities um, and, and Stan, again, he aged. But I think Stan aged gradually, like when, when he finally succumbed, it was a very fast process. Like even the cameos in the Marvel movies, he's still that. I don't know if it was the 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 visual uh, or the memory of Stan that that colored my perception of him. But he seemed to be fairly robust right up until that precipice, and then he just you know toppled over it and was gone. Um, It's interesting because it it did strike me that Stan went out of his way up until his death. Even at I think it was what ninety five when he died of of doing everything he could to look young, but that one time I got a chance to meet him at New York Comic Con, so he would have probably been in his late eighties then. He was feeble like in person. Mm-hmm. Like like the like seeing him in his signings or like on, on camera, he still looked like Stan the Man. But in person he was very feeble, like you almost felt like if you were gonna shake his hand or touch him he would fall apart. You know, their handlers were very much like you know, he was immobile except when he needed to be, it was all very carefully curated and protected and almost like a, like a, like a, like a collectible doll. But yeah, but, but I mean, but like the public visage was, always, was, was ageless. I mean, it's fun. I, I'm, I rewatched the, uh, the, the first Captain America movie, uh, recently, uh, while we were down in Florida with, uh, the kids and, and, um, you know, of course, Stan was in all these movies as a cameo until he passed away. And, and, and I guess he would have been about eighty-five then, eighty. Probably when that was filmed. And dude looks fifty in the movie. Now again, it's movies, and I'm sure. But but like to your point, I mean, yeah, he definitely. I feel like Stan looked old when he was young, and then he looked young when he was old. Like he kind of a steady state. Right. Well, I think there were two Stan Lees. There was the character of Stan Lee that he he carefully cultivated for his audience. And then there was the real world, Stan Lee, which, I mean, there's no love lost between us, but uh, Stan and I, (laughs) meaning. I would make a point not to put myself in the same um, situation as yourself, seeing him in real life. I wouldn't do that. Because then then the the character uh, aspect or shard of Stan Lee is shattered. It's, It's gone. I don't. I don't want to. I. I. I want that. That fiction. Sure. Did you Did you read the uh, recent biography of him? Well, recent, like in the last two years, I think it came out. No. No. I read it's, the first fifteen percent uh, of it, maybe, and and put it away. Okay. Okay. You. It's a lot of what you would probably already have read in the Marvel: The Untold Story, but yeah, the, the final years of his life were incredibly sad and it as you said he's a complex human being for Mm -hmm. sure oh yeah yeah and and to your point i mean he was absolutely grossly taken advantage of regardless of what you think karma did he deserve but he was he was horribly taken advantage of his later years right and i wouldn't wish that on anybody yeah well and one thing that i i found out was the um you know the part where the artist wanted to put his name on on his work uh Apparently that was aimed more at, um, and I know you you guys mentioned other publishers doing similar things, but that was a uh, a Will Eisner thing, and I did I'd never known that Will Eisner had a bad reputation in that regard. Um, that was news to me, but that was I think in the 
the journal interview. And it's from a, a an archival standpoint, it's maddening because when you see these stories and wow, this art's fantastic and there's no signature on anything. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it, it, then you have to, you know, some of the, like when Craig Yo was doing the, uh, the reprints, the, the pre-code horror reprints at IDW, he had to go through, jump through a lot of hoops just to find out who exactly made these stories because there was no bylines on them. Sure. Yeah. It's, and it, that, but that was the way the industry worked then. You didn't get to sign your work. And like you said, it was Gaines who kind of championed that because, well, he, he had the, the best of the best in his employ. Why not? Right. Yeah. Ah, publishing. Well, you know, David was talking about the, the characterization here and, you can look at these stories and not even read a word and they're still funny because Klaus is up there with like Will Elder and mm-hmm. Jack Davis in terms of just drawing humorous looking people. Uh, it's some of his feet are funny. It, it's just amazing cartooning. Yep. It, it, he, he is very versatile. Um, the, I forget his name, the guy in velvet club with the hair plugs. Oh man. Yeah, I, Bertina and all. Yeah. Yeah, just freaks me out. But there's a story in one of these issues. It's one of the rare color stories that you mentioned Will Elder. And to my eyes, it's very much like Will Elder. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's, he's he's a, uh, a great, uh, uh, as Dr. Infinity would say, he's a great draftsman. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, the the one um, I know we're we're getting uh, well I'm getting away from the book. One of the more crumb like stories in in the eight ball run is a message to the people of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very crumb like. Sure. So what else? I mean, what what other th- concepts did did you guys pull from this book that that either pushed you uh, <clears throat> into the happy place or, or the dark, uh, depressing zone? Well, I, um, I will say that this book of the month, if I had to like break our books of the month into categories, this is the kind of book of the month that I, uh, before we hit record dread. Um, and this has been a, a, a much less dreadful than I expected it to be. And I, what I mean by that is that, uh, like this was a book that, I knew was very well regarded. Uh, I I have all all the respect for Klaus as a as a creator and his place in history. I read the book and definitely understood the craft and why it's well regarded and why it would be a part of then Klaus, you know, um, greatest hits collection and 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 part and parcel to why so many people worship him and think he's amazing and one of the best of his generation like i i i didn't come away missing any of that but if i'm being fully honest and why why wouldn't i be if this is, this is our show personally this like as a reader purely as a consumer of it it did nothing for me like other than as a academic like my buddies and i are going to get together and talk about this book and its significance and its craft like i got value out of that <clears throat> And, and and very much this conversation I'm getting value out of, but 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 as a just as a comic fan, 
who likes to read lots of different comics. And, and often with the book of the month, we get a chance to read comics that we just, for whatever reason, never got to read, but we always wanted to. And this is one where, like, it did nothing for me from that regard. Like, I, I, I don't in any way feel like, oh, damn, I can't believe I hadn't read this years ago. And let me go and now read everything else Dan has ever done. Like, I did not have that experience. And again, I'm not trying to bash it in any way. I'm just saying for me personally, I, I connected with this only on an analytical and academic level. In in no way did it m- make any mark for me as a fan of the medium. Matthew, what are you doing I, for the next 10 years? Uh, well, <laughs> you're going to kick me off the show too. Um, I got to make a confession as well. I didn't do a <clears throat> complete 180 on this material, but it made me realize that so much of what I connected with when I first read these was very tethered to the time that I read them. And when I reread this collection, cause I, let me backtrack a little. I, you know, I read them initially probably reread them three or four times in the nineties When I got the collection a few years back, it was very nostalgic. So I was just happy to read any of it. But sitting down and reading all of the Pusey stories in one collection, I also felt dread coming onto this episode because I was like, I'm not really feeling this as much as I did before either. And I think part of it, you know, it's just I'm 49. I'm not the same person I was when I when this stuff came out. I don't have the same concerns. Um, so the, the things that he was targeting back then don't really mean much to me right now. Right. Um, or don't mean as much, I should say. Um, there were parts of this that made me angry. Um, you know, Vince, you don't have the introduction, but like he gripes about, uh, you know, the modern superhero movies and I'm so tired of that line of thinking of, you know, superhero movies have ruined cinema. That's complete horseshit. If anything, they've saved cinema because if not for those major money makers, you wouldn't see Alamo draft houses and landmark theaters. Those are the movies that draw people to those theaters so that they can show the art house film still. Um, and there's not that many of them either. It's in, in a quantitative sense, there were way more Westerns at the height of that genre. There were, hundreds and hundreds of Westerns being pumped out from the thirties to the fifties, even to the sixties. There's been like 80 movies with superheroes in the last 20 years. So the fact that he's still harping on that in this introduction bothers me because I look at that and I'm like, how come you haven't let this go? Why is this still bothering you? Um, so when we started talking about it and you guys were, you know, especially Vince talking about, elements that I hadn't even really considered about more of the nuanced uh, character moments and things that he threw in there that I, I didn't really grasp um, even on the most recent read. Then I thought, okay, well uh, I'm just neutral on it. Really the cartooning again, top notch, one of my favorite cartoonists of all time, but in terms of the content of the story and, and what he was trying to do for the time, I, I just don't know how relevant it is anymore. Right. 
So I guess the answer, Vince, is uh, is, is Matthew's going to do a podcast with me for the next ten years. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, David and I. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. No, I didn't. But David and I pulled it off last week. We could do it again. <laughs> we haven't heard David's thoughts. I don't know, David. David, you want to make it three, three or four? No, I um, I I I get what Matthew's saying, especially with the introduction. But as far as um, what. I may not agree. I'm not taking offense with what he did because obviously I'm not in the industry. But um, I I could appreciate what was um, what 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 he did with with Poussey and 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 the stories that were told here. I I um, is this something I'm going to go back and and read anytime soon? Probably not. But um, I. Considering growing up reading the fanzines and 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 kind of knowing how the sausage was made, like early on in in my comic book reading, I, I didn't nothing nothing here really um, shocked me or or, or or shook me or or maybe think that you know that that he's just you know he's 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 taking the piss and you know he's exaggerating. There are things in here that I. Um, believe that happened back then and and still so i didn't um i all that to say i'm i'm more in vince's camp on on this book well i mean i knew you would be but um (laughs) there are a number of things within this narrative you got to remember gary groth wasn't always against the superhero genre, right? Uh, his his he started in the fanzines, or published his own fanzine, and it was primarily focused on superhero comics. It, there was just a tipping point where he stepped out of that and and embraced this the, the other thing. Like, uh, but for the the beginnings of Gary Groth, it's all superheroes. Right and, and and even with the brothers uh, Hernandez, they love superheroes and they were in the fanzines mm-hmm. as well. And so they became the darlings of the indie comics uh, scene at a certain point. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but there there a part of this narrative could be applied to um, guys like the Gary Groths and the and the the brothers who who realized that. Um, for whatever reason, that superheroes there was more to the the medium than superheroes. Yeah, most of them were not as critical as Gary, but um, such as it as it is. But you know, the more I think about it, uh, if you walk around that, you know, go to the back lot of of the pretty facade that is Dan Pousset, and you walk behind the set and you look at the scaffolding holding it all up. It's balanced in a sense that, yeah, he's attacking, quote, attacking everybody, uh, mainstream, indie, alt, like all of the, the comic publishers. But as far as the depiction of Dan himself, it's not balanced at all. It is extremely one-sided. Like, um, starting with Dan's parents when he's, when he's young. His brother is rebellious and acts out, and so the majority of his parents attention is captured by his brother whereas dan just 
draws comics because no one pays attention to him and he, he just does the thing that gives him whatever joy it is the parents demean his his choice to be an artist they're like oh god they think he's gay because he doesn't mm. have any women around they rejoice when they find a playboy underneath his bed um and and dan himself doesn't really do anything to balance the scales he doesn't try to seek anything from life other than superheroes and this is a journey that a lot of us make as far as being fans of this medium right there are people still even within our group who love superhero comics and don't walk out of that the boundaries of that and i guess that's okay right but like i'm saying so my point being the character of Dan is not balanced at all. It's a, he stacked the deck far in his favor. I don't know whether it's for the sake of sympathy or to to really press the point home that this is a character who basically has nothing. Yeah, he's got a ton of money from creating superhero comics, but what does he really have? Nothing. He's, he has no life experience. He has no significant other. He's got legions of fans that he doesn't even make an effort to remember like the one guy early in the in the in the the narrative where he's like yeah remember you and me we used to hang out at blah blah blah's house and we used to draw and, and now you're 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 doing comics and and dan's like yeah i you know i'm sorry i don't remember your name but it's two dollars a piece to sign these yeah. like so that he does pretty brutal yeah he doesn't even remember the people that he has interacted with in the past and it's just he the, the guy is not doing anything to better himself he tries with the writing class but again doesn't have the raw material or doesn't have the wherewithal to to transform that raw because everybody has life experiences he could have did a, a a comic on his formative years with his parents whatever but he doesn't have the wherewithal to transform that into something it's all superheroes the guy's just run. he's on a treadmill of superheroes and I, that's where i think the klaus doesn't do himself well, he he does do himself a favor, but it's it's too extreme, where he doesn't make the there's no um, uh, escape hatch for Dan. He he starts off doomed and he ends doomed. Like, well, I think you know I should just clarify like my 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 problems with this. I shouldn't even say problems, but the reason why I didn't have such a strong positive reaction had more to do just with with me having a you know shifted perspective um you've got i i really appreciate the elements like you just mentioned having that former friend come up and talk to him is not expected um it's a it's a great way to show um, you know, just a, a little nuanced moment about the impact of being on the other side of the table. Right. Um, that you, you, everybody wants to do something great. Everybody wants to accomplish something. And then once you do that, it's very easy to forget what it's like when you were still struggling. And um, the book is full of stuff like that. And I think that it's, as with most of the stuff in the early issues of 8-Ball, you can tell Klaus thinks deeply and with a lot of care about those moments and they play out probably more effectively in a story like K 
caricature or um, David Boring. But these are this is the germ of that. He's doing it in a humorous way, but he's incorporating those types of moments, which make it richer than just your average satire. Right. Evan Dorkin was making comics like this around the same time, which were way more pointed and way more just like this sucks and this sucks and here's what happens at conventions and these people are awful. This has a a more thoughtful literary bent to it, I think. Right. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um Dorkin's comics are like, fuck you. Yeah. Right? You you all suck. And yeah. and he Yeah, I mean we talked about milk and cheese uh when 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 that last collection came out and I'm with you. I mean, that's a great comparison because I would agree that like this was a way more nuanced and elegant and well-crafted experience to me of that of that type of story than Dorkin uh, and I don't want to turn this into like a Dorkin bash but we, we had said that when when we talked about milk and cheese but what? but I but uh but yes I, I I think for me and this is just you know I know we make jokes sometimes like we have certain things that, that we don't resonate with and often people say oh Wood doesn't like slacker stories um it's not so much slacker stories, really. I've thought a lot about this. It's I don't enjoy sardon. Like I don't enjoy when people talk about make stories about themselves when I believe that these people are unhappy people. Like as they're making the stories, and like I don't know Dan Klaus from Adam, but everything I've seen and read and heard of him makes me seem like the guy hasn't cracked a smile too often in his life, and like I just don't those kinds of stories don't connect with me generally. Like I don't like the idea of like spending your life like pontificating about your own inability to be happy about your life. Like that, that does almost nothing for me. So, and again, I'm not like saying that's a invalid type of story to make. I'm just saying like, as a personal consumer, that seems to be a kind of story that is very hard for me to take any joy out of reading. Right. I'm glad you said that. End part. Yeah. Sure. Uh, be, be, all that, all, almost. I mean, almost anything has value. I. It, it's just for like. But but all we can speak of is, is how we personally like. Again, I mean, we all have our. I mean, you, you Vince, you love schlock horror movies, right? Like a so lot of people Matthew. wouldn't. No, I know. No, I know that. But a lot of people would would wouldn't like wouldn't be able to watch them for 10 minutes. Like, I just, no, I mean, this is terrible. It's true. Like you, but you, you, there are things about it that resonate with you. You take joy from them. Similarly, there are types of stories. I'm sure you detest that. I adore it's, it, it. None, neither is right nor wrong. It's just, I'm saying for me, like, and that's, you know, and like, it, it's, there's, it's interesting to me because like Chris Ware does nothing for me. Like again, like I've read Chris a lot of Chris Ware's work. I think it's incredibly crafted. Like it, it is like I I appreciate the craft, but as like a, let me sit down and be a fan of something. It I'm not a fan of the work. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fill me with joy when I read it. Right. Whereas like Adrian Tomine, who certainly isn't going to be accused of writing happy happy joy joy stories. I adore I adore his work. I I, I can't tell you why I connect with his work and not these two gentlemen but i'm just saying like generally speaking i think part of it is just like you know you can give me like sardonic perspective but you got to give me an off you got to offset it a little bit you got to tell me that you've like you can see the other side 
Like you recognize that life isn't I, all shitty. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he was capable of that in his thirties, and he's talked about that in recent issues. That again, he was he was an angry young man. Yeah, and he even admits to that in the introduction. He talks yeah, about he does, um, yeah, yeah. you know, like he says, "I'm ashamed to admit it, but from the vantage point of middle age, I can say that the initial spark for many of the Pussy stories came from some misplaced low grade desire for revenge." Yeah, yeah, right. And and I I totally understand. Um, the the negativity turn off for you and it, it the the one um creator that i can imme- i immediately think of is jeff nicholson right loved his ultra cluts i thought it was like the best thing mm-hmm. ever but then there was a point where his work started to get really dark uh forget what the name is something about hamsters habit ham- habit trails or something and and it just it it became almost uh, intensely dark and I was like I don't like he lost me after that because sure. uh, there, I mean regardless of what you think I don't thrive on darkness and negativity but when it's done really well uh, yeah I pick up on especially if it's at the hands of a cartoonist as amazing as Klaus right well listen that, I mean if with one thing we can say after all these years I mean there is you can appreciate or enjoy something on different levels. I mean, Vince, you teach cl- like, like it, it, like again. I, I, I think it would be, um, you you should side eye the fuck out of me if I came on today and said this book sucks. I don't know why you guys would want to talk about it. like that's ridiculous. Like I think that's not being a well rounded, yeah. not even well rounded. That's not being uh, a mature, uh, you know, critic of the medium. I like I, I think you can, but I but I think ultimately we read and love comics and talk about it because we love how they make us feel, right? And sometimes yes. that can make us feel sad. It can make us feel angry. Certainly, I read lots of comics that are sad or or, or anger inducing. So all I can ultimately go back to is like on the level of, did I really enjoy reading this? Like if I had just had this in my collection and I picked it off the shelf and said, ah, oh, you know, I've been meaning to read this for a while, and I read it and I didn't we weren't going to come onto the show to talk about it. It would be one of those books. I probably wouldn't put on my slack list that I'd read it get because it, yeah. I wouldn't want you guys to say to me like, Hey, you finally read Pousset. What did you think of it? You know what I mean? Well, I, one thing that I'll, I'll say about this, what tainted me on this book was again, going back to this introduction um, because it is very downbeat and it does seem very defeatist and negative because in my view, First off, the existence of this podcast shows that you can like Marvel superhero movies and like stuff that comes out from Drawn and Quarterly or Ad House yep. or, you know, European comics and manga like that. You know, again, Vince, you didn't read this, but the very last panel of the introduction is a modern day Dan Pousset with his head shaved and an earring. <laughs> and he says, choke on it, bitch. <laughs> Meaning the 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 fantasy world and all of these things that Klaus hated won over in the end is how he's viewing it. Right. I don't see it that way at all. We have a shop here in Chicago called Howling Pages mm-hmm. that is all graphic novels. They don't sell floppies. They don't sell Marvel and DC single issues. They have a whole wall of European comics, a whole wall of manga, every fanographic book that's in print, Every small press publisher that's in print, you can walk in there and read adult, mature, artsy comics. The fact that 
he was thinking 30 years ago that was never going to happen. And, and and they even used the word apocalyptic in this comic strip interview yeah. a lot. Like the world's just falling to shit because people like Youngblood. Well, that didn't happen. And so the fact that he couldn't acknowledge that in his introduction of like, he's very well regarded now. He's like, I, I just don't understand why he maintained that negativity. And I think that was my major uh, stumbling block with this of like, God, I feel better about comics. I sure as fuck do. Why don't you? Right. Yeah, I mean, to your point, and I, I you know, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but but, but now you, you meant, like, um, I don't know if you watched it, Matthew, but I, I watched his interview uh, with Kayfabe Guys. Yeah. Which was, uh, I think it was last year. It was, it was within the last year. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm like, you know, I, I was, like, bummed out that dude, even at, like, 60, I guess he's a little older. Yeah, he's, he's actually he's actually 60, I think, because he's, he's 13 years older than me. Um like and and by all accounts is has had a phenomenal career. I mean, I think he's regarded as one of the best of his generation. Oh, yeah. and like he's, you know, I, I like within the industry certainly. And I, as far as I can tell, I think he's had a fair amount of commercial success. Like his bills are paid. He just seemed like a downbeat dude, like a dude that just doesn't really take much joy out of life. And I thought, well, fuck, like, like if not, like if if at this point in your journey you can't at least look back and say, like, shit, I did it, like. I handled my business in the way I wanted to, like, and I'm proud of that. Like, that bums me out. Like, and again, like, this is a this comes down to personality traits, right? Like, you guys know me. Like, that is just an, an anathema to my way of living. Like, I just, I, I believe there is a huge difference between systemic issues that keep people from succeeding, but they try like their hardest to make the best of their lives. And I have all the empathy and sympathy and want to support and change things for them. I have equally complete disdain and and aversion to people who by all accounts had most if not every opportunity to succeed and in fact did succeed and still view the world as against them and having failed them somehow as if they don't have agency in their lives like life to me is about taking agency in your own narrative and yes there are lots of circumstances that can play against your ability to do that but Dan Klaus, by all accounts, as a, you know, well-educated, middle, upper middle, you know, middle class to upper middle class, white cis dude from, you know, the born in the, in, in, in the sixties, it was not, he didn't have many things against him. So I Mm -hmm. don't have much empathy for that. Like, well, life and circumstances has fucked me from getting to have the life I wanted. Like, nah, fuck that dude. Like we all have tough circumstances and like, you can, you should try and rise above them. And again, I'm not suggesting Please, people out there listening, don't misinterpret this as me saying, like, oh, if you just work hard, you could be successful. Like, that's not what I'm saying. There are a fuck ton of people out in the world that cannot achieve what they want to because of circumstances they have no control over. I just don't believe a lot of the bitter, sardonic comic creators that write stories like this are in that group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we saw the. Um results of thinking like that with Evan Dorkin's social media not too long ago, right? He was like, what the fuck do I do this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you yeah, know, I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I've, I've had some success, but it's, it, it, there, there's no, um, there's no staying power with it. it. It's fleeting and I'm trying, you know, I'm getting older. And how long has he been doing it? 40 years? Yeah. Long time. Yep. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, that uh, I saw somebody else, 
I think you have to put it into perspective too of like you're making alt comics. They're never going to sell in the millions. You have to be realistic in that regard. And yeah, I saw it's somebody. Weird, it's this weird thing like, like, like I have, I have a good friend who's a, a social worker, right? There was never a point in their lives where they woke up and said, I'm going to get fucking paid. Yeah. Like their their journey in life was to give back in that way because it meant something to them and they're very good at it. And they also understood the calculus that that would likely mean absent like, you know, lottery or, or marrying something like, that they would not be that they that finances would never they would never have financial security and comfort in the way that like mm-hmm. some of their peers that we all went to the same college to have. Right. But like they made that choice and they have, a, and they feel very fulfilled in their lives, even though they live paycheck to paycheck effectively, even in their in their forties, like, and they're completely, completely satisfied with it. Sure. They're stressed at times yeah. about paying bills, but like, and, and that's where it's like, ah, dude, like don't come at me. Like it's Steve Ruiz, another one, like don't come at me in your, in your monthly newsletter about how you can't pay your bills. Like you have chosen to be a comic book creator for forty years. Like you, if 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 paying the bills was that problematic, you could have and should have changed your career. Like no yeah. one is owed a career in doing the thing they most want to do. In fact, let's be blunt: the vast majority of the world do not get the luxury of doing for a living what they're most passionate about. Myself included, by the way. Like like I would not be a hedge fund manager. You know, if I got to do, I would be a marine biologist. But like, I recognized as well, no, but you laughed. But like, I, true. I just had the conversation with my son when we were in Florida. Like, I recognized that uh, when I was a teenager in high school, that like, I knew that being a marine biologist was like uh, did not pay. At, like, you just couldn't make a good living, and that was important to me. Like, and, and no disrespect to marine biologists, like people who go into that field and are, but like, for me, that calculus wasn't worth it. Like I was like, nah, I, I, I want to have financial security. So I made that choice. And I'm completely happy with it. So like I get, I low key side, eye artists and creative types who then lament that, like th- that they can't make the livings they want to when to your point, Matthew, like they've been at it for decades. Like, like I, well, I get being frustrated when you're 25 and you're like, Fuck, yeah. like I like, but you, you, if you're 60 and you've spent the last 40 years seemingly paying your bills enough to still be alive and have a house over your head, like maybe you need to rethink your perspective and bitterness. And and think about the industry that you're in too, because I just saw somebody post the um, the financial statement that they got from their publisher. They were doing a creator own book, and after everything had been paid for and they. You know, they had get, gotten an advance. They made like three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and they were you know throwing this out there. And I'm like, well, you're making comic books, which is a pretty niche market to begin with. And then if you're doing something sort of indie within that, you're reducing your audience even more. And it's like saying, well, I'm going to start making Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist dummies in 2022. <laughs> and why am I not selling them the, you know, the same way Transformers are selling? Like you're, this isn't, you know, an app, a phone app. This is comic books. So, yeah. I mean, we, right. listen, we, even, even we talk about all the time, the three of us, like, there are things we could do that would dramatically increase our reach and our monetization. Mm-hmm. We're sure, like we're sure of it, right? But at the end of the day, like we're not, we're not doing this for a living. We're not doing like the joy we get out of doing it is because we get to do it the way we want to, and get enough satisfaction from that, right? So it's like, 
like like no matter what your station in life there i think there are always these trade-offs and you know to me it's just it's just take agency in your own life and if it's 60 when the whole world is thinking of you as a like a pillar of your industry if you can't crack a smile then i i don't know man we're probably not going to hang yeah i just want to get back to the book for a second um <laughs> I, I think there's one incredibly um insightful sequence now throughout the whole thing if you count the number of words that actually come out of dan's mouth they don't amount to a whole lot mm-hmm. he's yeah. he's very terse right for sure until or w- unless he's talking about comic books like the one uh sequence where he's he's with his friend and he's trying to explain why this book is so good to his friend and he's he's so verbose that the dialogue balloon doesn't almost fit on the panel he's got tons of words and they just come come from gushing out of his mouth and then when the girls come up he he goes back to one or two word sentences like it it that, that is to me that says dan knows this character he he yeah. crawled into this character's brain, mm-hmm. and because that's exactly I, I'm the same way. I you know in social situations I don't talk about much, uh, or often. But if you, somebody brings up you know Harry Novak or or <laughs> or you know Frank Zappa, I'm on it. Like I am, you can't shut me up. Those are some of my favorite moments of our friendship, by the way. Okay, meaning no, I mean that like when we're together at cons and stuff like. There will be moments during the weekend when something like that happens and I see you light up and you'll just like explode with talk discussion. <laughs> and I cherish those moments because to your point, I mean, I, there there's a lot of time during the con when you're quiet and it's your nature and, and it's like, ah, and you and I, I know you well enough now to know that it's just your vibe. But like there were when we were first becoming close friends and first doing all cons together, like I think like is Vince enjoying himself? Like is he hating it? Like, is <laughs> Jesus. No, and I because I didn't know you well enough. Yet. Right. Be like, oh, right. man, like. He's having a horrible time. Well, like, you oh. never brought up lumpy gravy. <laughs> I, right. I, I really didn't right. have a lot of reason. To, if it's not worth saying, it's, whether it be like you know, talking to Matthew about something or Jefferson bringing like like what like someone bringing up you know or, or Mark like like some like an like and you're like oh shit and then like next thing you know you're you're going off for you know forty minutes like educating us about yeah. you know and you got and it's like you could see your eyes light up and you get the big smile and it's like well, I remember those moments vividly because they do stand out to me you know like whereas I think. Dap and I, in terms of our personalities, at least in cons, like we're more we're more steady state. Like we are who we are generally. Like sure we have moments of yeah, euphoria or quietness, but but you are I think you 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 have a more a more pronounced uh, range of, of of personas. Yeah. Well that's why I love this guy so much, Matthew, was because the fir- I think the first time we met him, um, like it just clicked. I don't. I even forget what we were talking about, but it, it could have been a multitude of things: shitty movies, um, comics, Japanese vinyl, music, like the movie posters. The guy is just oh, you're kindred spirits. For oh, sure. definitely, yeah. And I was just like, I love this guy. Yeah, so much. <laughs> well, I'm all the better for it. Oh, likewise, oh. likewise. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on uh, Pusey? Other than you know the stuff we've we've dragged through the entirety of what are we on now? This is one of the the two smaller and a half hours 
from a page count perspective, this is one of the yes. smaller book of the months we've ever done. It absolutely. Is. But yeah, the ideas, the concepts are so potent in this thing that we really didn't touch. Like Usually, for those who are joining us for the first time, we usually break it down uh, narrative beat by beat by beat. And it, like that's fun. And for some books, that's really all you can do. But for something like this, where the 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 conceptual hooks are so strong and deep that you could just riff on, you know, maybe three yeah. panels of, yeah, this, of this, this cause this calls for discussion. Whereas, you know, next wave or hellblazer or, or the nail authority or the, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's where you kind of just, you know, you can kind of, kind of talk about what's going on page right. by page. But, right. um, no, this, I, it's, um, it, there are times where, you know, during a book of the month and I, I'm, I'm trying to, if somebody didn't purchase this or have it to, to, to read along with us, um, I kind of, I, I, I try to figure out where if, depending on how long you've been a comic book reader, where you might fall on this, like, who, who could I give this to? Is this, is this going to go to somebody if, if if I wanted to recommend this, would I recommend this to somebody who's just like all about, you know, Archie or or or, or Terry Moore books, or am I going to you know recommend this to somebody who who wants to know more about what goes on behind the scenes and 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 how the work they enjoy gets made and and and, and so it's it's I I absolutely I I enjoyed this book a lot. And um, I don't know when it comes to books that we recommend um, where this may right. fall. I, I think it speaks more. It speaks more loudly and and um, resoundingly to those who've been reading comics for decades rather than months, right? Uh, like mm -hmm. a, a seasoned reader. Uh, you're going to encounter something called a fanzine in the pages of this. Be like, what? Right. what? What the hell is a fanzine? Sure. Yeah, if you've never read a fanzine, I wouldn't recommend Pusey. No, but uh, for those of us who have, mm -hmm. um, that's a word that instantly I, I light up. You start talking about fanzines, yep. you're in my, my, my mindset. Right, and to say that Pousset's first work was in the pages of a fanzine. There's a multitude of guys where mm -hmm. their first work was in fanzines. Sure, um, Hilary Barda, right? I mean, you can go down the, the the whole list. The Hernandez brothers, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Bill Black, who we just mentioned the other day. Terry Gamble. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, there's just yeah. It's it's anybody, especially if you were in the '80s and, and reading mainstream books. You could, it, it's amazing, even to this day, I'll go through, I'll thumb through some random issue of Amazing Heroes, and, you know, in the back with the letters pages, and, and there's some little little doodles of, of other characters, and it's like, and, and I'll see the name of the of the artist, and I'm like, holy crap, like, so this is before they got to do some fill-in work on, on Fantastic Four, or Avengers or something, and it's, it's just, yeah, I, I, I do miss... The time has passed. We're not going to be able to recapture that. No, um, as much as you may enjoy mutiny, and 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 I'm glad Fair Square is is trying to do it, but it's it, 
it's it it came and went, but I I really it it's and I know and love tomorrows and I think you know back issue alter ego I think that you know that they're, they're the closest we have the comics journal still being published but we don't erratically yeah right it, it, it's for me that that golden age is the early days of, of of comics journal is amazing heroes is the newspaper version of of comics buyer's guide that's that that's what curls yeah. and and i think uh, enthusiasm very much colors your per- perspective because um, I mean, we start talking about this and whatever, like at the local shop or at a convention or stuff or something, and and I always go overboard. Like, man, you know what? Somebody should reprint all those fanzines or like the Monster Times. Let's do an archival edition of the entire run of the Monster Times. And somebody always grounds me by saying, "Dude, nobody would buy that shit." Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's true. You make the same case. You used to make the same case about doing a, a like a. Like a manga style, uh, you know, big monthly tanko bonds of, of of superhero comics, and we used to just be like, yeah, but no one would buy that. No one would buy, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. But I mean, it could be the best. It could be the solution to selling a lot of comics. But again, nobody would buy them. Yeah, uh, but I mean, they they're, they're more enlightened. Habits. They're more enlightened in Japan. Yeah, but, but and I, by the way, I want to say before we, like, I want to make it clear, like, like I don't because because I I am. The, I'm, I certainly stand by the comics I made in terms of the, the, the my views on like the sardonic nature that closed uh, the vibe he gives off. But uh, I have read other works from Close uh, again, much of it also from Apol that I think is like that I've enjoyed quite a bit. Like like I I loved Ghost World and and I think but it's funny because I think that that like Ghost World is we're not gonna have like we can maybe do that but like like I think that is a brilliant book on a lot of levels, not the least of which is his perspective on women and that they are like, and much like the Hernandez, like that they are not like classic beauties, but yet he portrays them as sexual and beautiful people. And like, and I also think that like, there's a really fascinating way he treats them and that you don't really know what he as the author thinks of them. Like, does he think they're good, bad people? Like, like I, it's a lot to love about that book. I think, I think it's incredibly well-crafted and I, and I, I love the death rate when it came out and we talked about it. Um, you know, so, so, uh, and, and didn't, didn't love Wilson, but again, like Wilson is a, a misanthrope so it's like kind of same vibe as this yeah. but 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 so so i i think like i again like i this is like when people say like oh I, you know the beat like i there's a difference in saying the beatles suck and saying i don't like the beatles music right like i'll punch you in the yep. face for the beatles suck yeah if you tell me like i just don't vibe with the beatles music like i can't tell you're wrong it's your personal vibe right that's how i feel about it. like i like i think close is clearly like worthy of the place in history that he holds like as the craft is impeccable and unassailable. It's just he's not my vibe generally. That's all. The fact that you like Ghost World the most of all of his stuff is hilarious. Because- no, I didn't say I like it the most. I said, because I haven't read most of 8-Ball, right? Like, like after like after we dove into this, like, I think I really would love to open up the 8-Ball and read Like a Velvet Glove, Cast an Iron, because that to me seems like a really interesting narrative like a book that's not just about like a dude who's unhappy about his life like right and I'm, I'm with that but i'm saying of the things that i have read of his which are those uh death ray and ghost world i enjoyed like yeah. i i enjoyed both of those books so ghost world is my least favorite so it fits well it's about powerful women so i get that oh come on <laughs> <laughs> i'm just fine with you yeah <laughs> well the, so the tiebreaker, since it's two and two in terms of this book, and I, 
like I said, I'm with Jason. I mean, there's there's a lot to like here. Um, I, I just was in a weird place. But um, the Comics Journal review didn't did not like Dan Pussy. Um, they basically said that was the weak link in all those early eight ball issues. So Comics Journal breaks the tie on that. I think it was Andrew Langridge. And uh, Gary will pull out his thesaurus and tell you why it sucks. <laughs> and I just and and I you know, listen there. It's it's the Comics Journal. They it's 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 a great publication when it comes to to critiques and, and reviews. But I also part of me right or wrong. It's that whole you know full disclosure thing. Paramount is a subsidiary of CBS. It, it's like. You, you you published Dan's work, and you're publishing the magazine that's reviewing the work. And it it's it it there's I'm not saying there's a conflict of interest there, but but I do I personally end up looking at like if 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 Groth wants to review Love and Rockets, it's like bro, you're publishing it. it it's like mm-hmm. I don't I'm not sure where like what what line. Is there that you know you could say yes? You should absolutely buy this, or no, this is crap. And it's like, but but didn't you pay money to have it done? I, so it's just, I get it. It's the Comics Journal. I love it, but I do. It, it's it, and if you want to claim it, it's it's breaking the tie. So be it. But I just it it it's still it's the Comics Journal. It's all under the same umbrella. Well, I, would go. we say that the the Doctor Infinity story is the best one in here? I would be in agreement on that. I would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to say. Yep. Yeah, okay. I think it's the most vicious. So I would recommend, if anybody's going to read any of these stories, and that's not technically a Dan Pussy story, but yeah, it's, um, yep, I would agree. Scathing. Um, just to get back to, to Gary, uh, he, again, I think Jason said it um, best, where he's, he's noteworthy and notable and worthy of praise for the things he did right um, but he's not a perfect individual. Nobody is. Right. Um, shunned exploitation until he realized he could make money publishing porn comics. Right. Yeah, great right. So, I mean, it's, it's like, I'll tell you how it is right. until I decide otherwise. Like yeah. Yeah. The, you, you guys that read, uh, superhero comics are stupid for reading them until we publish something Within. So I need to get a bunch of superhero artists to do an anthology and anything right. go so I can fight Harlan Ellison in court. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. uh, but again, uh, one of the most noteworthy uh, figures on both sides of, of comics, fandom and publishing, I think. But, yeah, again, I don't like to use the word flawed, but he's not perfect, which I guess means flawed, uh, as are we all. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. That's the thing. I mean, there's, there's really nobody perfect. Maybe my wife, but but I could tell you, for many years, I worshipped that dude. Absolutely. Oh, I do too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If he told me, there were periods where if he said this book sucks, I would stop. If I was buying, so I would stop reading it. Because I, I know you like. See, so how did you treat it though? In the sense that, but you, you were for, like, you're, you're not really much of any kind of a superhero comic fan right now, but for. 30 to 40 years, including a good chunk of the time we've been doing the show, yeah. you were an unabashed and unapologetic superhero comic fan. So, like, there clearly during the time you're referring when you worship the guy, like, you were repping hard for superhero comics. So, like, 
but I've always, I've always, you obviously, you, you tossed aside his dismissal of superhero comics as like bullshit, but then you just said like, but like if you reviewed a book that was kind of like in his, his vein and he said it sucked, you were like, I'm out. No, when, I mean, there were times when he would, many times when he would bash mainstream books that were getting acclaim, um, I would just, most of the time I would just stop reading them because Gary, yeah, because Gary said so. And I was young and stupid. Um, but I've always struggled with superhero books. Um, they are the things on which I cut my teeth, but after I read comics book number one, and I keep saying it because it's true, that book changed me forever. And and I would I've always leaned into the indies forever. Sure. But I also liked Amazing Spider-Man a lot, and I love Fantastic Four, right? Yeah. Well, and, I, and know, I'd be I, like, when Gary rose to prominence, I never felt guilty for liking both until Gary opened his mouth. Then I was like, yeah, you know, he's kind of yeah. right that that these they're these are vapid, and there's most of them, and there there's really no nothing of 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 weight within this thing, and yet, I, and then I would read Yummy Fur and be like, hot damn, maybe this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I love it. That's but what it, I'm saying. Yeah, see, it's the hip- like on both sides, it's the hypocrisy, right? Like, oh, and I'm I'm totally like, on board. Yeah, I I, yeah. I I was a big ass hypocrite for a lot of no, years. No, I'm not saying. I'm saying like like that. That's just that's the nature of fandom, right? Like like the Marvel versus DC, right? Or like the again the indie versus main. It, it's it's and and to your point, Matthew, I think the the one of the moment is this. Like I feel like every director now has to come out and say God, either they're for or against these Marvel yeah, movies, it's and it's so like, dumb. bro, like. Are you fucking serious? Like, like it can be all things. Like, like it's like we like like when I watch when I watch Avengers Endgame, I'm expecting a vastly different experience than when I watch Barbarian that we, came, just came out, right? Or, or Mandy. Like, like I can like I'm a mature enough person with enough life experience to be able to find value or dislike them both for what they are. Like, like if I'm watching fucking Mass Singer with the kids. I, I can understand that it is attempting to do uh, a different thing in the way that it entertains us than when I'm yeah. watching the fucking wire. Like, depending, like, uh, depending on how persuasive a certain critic is. Uh, to get back to Gary, extremely persuasive. He was a silver-tongued devil. Sure, you know? for sure. And, for and sure. I, he just mesmerized me into thinking that he was right. Which, I, but see, yeah, I, and I think one of the reasons that I, I love our podcast and what it's always been is that I am all for fair criticism. If you don't like something, I think we've always been willing and able to say we didn't like it without being like pedantic or insulting or you know like like like, sure. like trolling. And I think that's important because again, I'm not going to throw stones, but there are lots of reviewers in the world covering all sorts of mediums, not just comics, that are just overtly positive to the point where I no longer value their opinion because it's like, well. Yeah. If I don't know what you don't like and what turns you off, I don't know that I can value what turns you on. But but I, I think where I've always had an issue, and it was like this with music too, like you guys know, like I was a, I am, but I, you know, a, a, and we all have our stories like this, but I was a, a Mighty Mighty Boston's fan, you know, like in high school before they were, and then they signed with a major label when we were in college. And like I had buddies like, ah, oh, fuck them now, like they're so ass. And it's like, I didn't get that. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't like. They, they they make their livings making music like that's their gainfully employment like like why would we be upset this group that we love 
is like going to a major label where they're going to start making real money. Like, like, like it's different than like saying, I don't like, like the next album they put out. I don't like it as much. It's like, that's a different thing. But like saying like, I'll oh, fuck them. Cause they signed a major label. I, I net like my issue with Groth was always that, which was like, even when I wasn't reading many indie comics in my early comic days, I had this view of Gary that was like, he just like hated on anything that had significant commercial success. And that was so illogical to me. And then as I, as my taste changed and, and I mean, collectively we read far less superhero comics now than we did 10 years ago. Um, you know, I've gone way, you know, my, my, my scale has shifted massively, but, but I, I'm never going to be a person that's like superhero comics fucking suck. Like, no, like, like the aggregate, I'm not a fan generally of the aggregate output. I laugh at that. Two, two times in one sentence. In one episode. But, but, but like, there's always going to be good superhero comics. There's always going to be yeah. good mainstream movies that sit that, that do a billion at the box. Like there, there's, we shouldn't equate economic success or broad popularity with quality on either side. No. Right. And you can like all things like yes. Vince, Vince won't get this reference, but when you watch the show chopped, mm-hmm. you'll get this chef who is at a you know Michelin star restaurant and he'll pull like Cheetos or a Twinkie out of the basket and he'll go, Oh, this is disgusting. I would never eat this. Fuck you. You would. (laughs) Twinkies are good. You don't want to eat them every day for every meal, but Twinkies are fine and you don't have to badmouth it. We went to um, Palm Springs earlier in the year and we went to the sushi restaurant and I got a $28 piece of sashimi. It was tuna belly. It was delicious. The best sushi I've ever had. It was awesome. It was two bites, so like $14 a bite. The next day we went to Del Taco and I got a dollar fifty bean and cheese burrito, which was equally as good. Nice. You can like trash and you can like high end stuff. There's no reason to separate the two or act like you're wrong if you Absolutely. like one thing yeah. and not the other. No, Matthew. Yeah, I, I will. I, I yeah. will. I love an In and Out burger, but I also love Alinea, Right? Like it's. Yep. It's not. You can like them all. Right, Matthew. Were you swayed yes. um, by Gary Groth at any point? Oh. In- Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I mean, I was I was 18 working at a shop watching idiots come in and buy 100 copies of Legends of the Dark Knight number one. <laughs> I got to get 25 of each color because this is the, you know, going to be super valuable. Yep. These are adults and I'm 18 and I could understand like, no, that doesn't work that way. So when Groth was complaining about that stuff and, and he knew much more about the industry, obviously, but. I was in it somewhat working at this shop. So I was right on board with everything he had to say. Um, Not to, but don't you think like the criticizing someone for buying 25 copies of a comic, thinking they're going to pay off their kid's college is a different vein of criticism than saying the comic itself sucks because it exists. Yeah. I mean, both. Yes. So there's that part. I mean, he went after everything. I mean, the right. quality of the the work itself, and that's the thing that I, you know, as Vince said, it was frustrating because he at one point was a champion. He loved Gil Kane, even mm-hmm. into the time that he was bad mouthing superhero comics. He was still a champion for. And it's like, can't you recognize that there are people working in the industry now who are as as good who are making superhero comics? Because there were. Yeah. He just focused on the negative. It was like, oh, you know, all these image guys are horrible. Well, yeah, some of them were, but there were still, you know, Yannick Paquette was working around that time. Um, Chris Sprouse was coming up. Like, there were good superhero artists then. Right. 
I would love if I had a huge chunk of free time to go through all of the issues of the journal and um, just mark down every time he had something positive to say about mm-hmm. a main, mainstream superhero book. And mm-hmm. I, I think it would be greater than you would guess. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because there was ma- there were many times, many times he would praise uh, not not a vintage uh, superhero book, but but something current. Um, if memory serves, he liked Miller stuff to a certain extent, to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Frank um, Miller, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do, do, do you remember that? Like Ronan, especially. I think he liked Ronan a lot. Or one of the books around Kim that. Thompson didn't. I think Kim Thompson really right. trashed it. Yeah. But I, Gary may have liked it. Yeah. Um, well, I remember reading that Groth takedown of Superman, and, and at the time I wasn't a I wasn't a, t- a regular TCJ guy, and I wasn't a DC guy, so it it was more of like a oh this guy really got a bone to pick with fuck Superman like Jesus like. He had a bone to pick with a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. He, he always he just he always struck me as um a contrarian more often than not. Only because right, right. He he just because I would I it, it's it, it it was amazing how Amazing Heroes and the Comics Journal were like, you know, two sides of the same coin. It, it's yeah, Amazing Heroes nine times out of ten is going to have a mainstream cover story but you know it's still it's still published by fanographics and, and you know you can so, so they're they're catering to the comics fan whether you're enjoying the, the the cape and cow stuff or you want the things that you know make you think or the slice of life or or or, or just the more um non-bombastic stuff and 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 both yeah. magazines serve the purpose and and it, it's just it my, my thing with the whole um like 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 Scorsese or Tarantino or Cameron and and coming down on 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 the superhero stuff it's like it it's you know okay you guys have been successful you've you you know you know your craft and you know what your audience wants your audience wants but you know you're not the arbiters of 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 everything movies and and if 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 folks like I, I know that um. Simu Liu from from the Shang Chi movie. He, you know, Tarantino had something to say about you know everything's being you know a Marvel movie these days, and and it it's you know, Liu was able to lead a, a a movie that you know made the studio millions, and and that let's say it would never happen, but that's you know, a superhero movie allowed that to happen, and and you know that that's not something that Tarantino or, or Scorsese or, or camera would be offering but it is just it, it's you just why would you say something that would kind of alienate some of your audience it's just like is this so so yeah you know especially yeah. cameron who's like your 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 new thing now is avatar meanwhile you've made terminator movies you've made the abyss like you've made movies that that that, that superhero fans would enjoy and so, and so now you're going to come down on and meanwhile you've got like this like two billion blockbuster swimming pool movie coming out and it's like i why are you why, why are you insulting people that you want to go see your movie right and it's like when when a scorsese or or a tarantino say it, it's really side-eyeing because they're commercial directors they, yes they, they they i'm sure in their mind they have never foregone the art of the craft for dollars but they're they have also sought vigorously to promote 
their movies and get them widely distributed at major studios and have made many millions of dollars in doing them and happily accepted the money, right? So it's like, like, like you, if you're going to live the life, you know, if you're like, I don't know, fucking like Lars von Trier, like you're just going to make weird ass fucking movies hey and no one to watch. Back no, 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 I'm not, again, I'm just throwing that because like, if you're, like, I, I think there probably are filmmakers or, or artists in any medium who legit like despise the idea of commercialism having anything to do with it. And like, if you live that life and you want to criticize, man, more power to you. But like, it's the hypocrisy. Like, it, like it's like, if you were presented with the situation to do it, would you do it? And it's like, I don't know, man. It's it, and and that's the thing, you know, Vince. To your point about Groth, like the thing that he had working for him is he is an impeccably good writer. Oh like, yeah, he mm-hmm. he he yeah. he he can. Even if you just think his his underlying take is total bullshit. He will write it in such a way that you're like, mm-hmm, maybe like, maybe, that's, like oh, that's, that's why I fell into his sway for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing too, you know, with the, uh, um, blaming superhero movies for destroying cinema, but that's smartphones, the internet and television, killed movies like those are things that people are more interested in than going and sitting and watching a drama but they want to see a big budget blockbuster because it's exciting that's the only thing that's going to get people back into theaters because they have too many other things to distract them yeah that's not superhero movies fault right and i I would argue that there are still phenomenal movies of all kinds being made oh for sure like you said they just probably don't come out in the theater now like because it's but that's fine. That- like we can still see them. We we have we all have giant movie screens in our houses, right? We all have exactly. 50, 60, 70 inch TVs now that are like two hundred bucks at Walmart. Like you you we can get a cinematic experience at home streaming a movie that's never going to see the light of a theater, and that's okay. And um, and the people that would have been feature film auteurs in the seventies or eighties are now showrunners. They're more interested in long form. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very true. By the way, I found the Gary Groth. It's, it's a long article, but but the quote. <laughs> so it was in Amazing Heroes. Speaking of it, and Amazing Heroes is doing a a Superman celebration, <laughs> and they got lots of industry people to give pull quotes for it <laughs> for Superman. <laughs> and as you might imagine, the vast majority were celebratory because that was the whole point of the issue. Gary Groth's quote, <laughs> and to, to Amazing Heroes credit, they, it, credit to them for printing it. <laughs> Gary Groth, editor, Fanographics. My only interest in Superman, marginal at that, stems from his continuing presence as a symbol of banality and infantilism in the history of the American comic book. Jesus. <laughs> thank, thank you, Gary. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> you know what? I celebration. I'd love to be your kid at this birthday party. Fuck, when you do punch him in the face. <laughs> if he wrote that today, I got to be honest with you. If if I ever saw him at a con and he wanted a Dr. Pepper, I'd run across the street and get him a damn Dr. Pepper, and I'd stop for ice along the way. <laughs> got to be honest. All right, everybody. Hey, we we this was awesome, and we have to thank the people that made this possible. Our beautiful patrons, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. That's the last I'm going to say. Thank you. Um, in your travels, all I'm going to say is I can't talk about this book in five minutes. So for next time, uh, if you haven't read it yet, I suggest you do. I am going to talk about Below Ambition by Simon Hanselman. It's the new book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It comes with a a, a vinyl or a, a flexi disc. 
yeah. in the back. It's awesome. I'm going to uh, try and get into it next episode. And my copy of Black Paradox, which is also on your list, arrives this week. Nice. And read Black Paradox, too, because we'll talk about that if Jason reads it. Or, and David, if he reads it. So, yeah. Here travels. Oh, man. Uh, in your travels, I will talk about this um, next week. Uh, but a uh, new graphic novel released today from Image, the Paris team of um, Andy Watson and Simon Gain, uh, Sunburn. I read this afternoon, couldn't stop, and uh, might, might have come back from lunch late because of it. But... It was, uh, I, it's, I'm not going to, there's not much to go into great depth, um, to, to, to review it, but I, it was, um, like, like, like Jason likes to say it, it, it may be the best thing I read this week. So in your travels, Sunberg from Image Comics. Nice. Nice. Uh, in your travels, a couple housekeeping notes don't forget we are now uh, as most of you are listening to this we are in december time freaking flies one month left of the year we're going to start seeing uh just like spotify put out their uh their full year list to all of us this year about all the things we listened to and liked uh you're gonna start seeing lots of best of the year comic lists all that sort of stuff um it should serve as a reminder to start doing the mental tally mental tally for yourselves please go to 11oclockcomics.com, and you'll see a link up at the top on the left-hand side for the 11 O'Clockers, our annual celebration of our favorite comics and creators of the year. Uh, please do submit that. You've got uh, roughly till the middle of January to finalize your ballots, but uh, but yeah, get cracking. We've got a pretty good contest for uh, you know if we get enough subscri- enough enough participants, we will be giving away a cheap graphic novel gift certificate to that. Um, and then also, uh, we have started dipping our toes after much um, encouragement to do so uh, in the YouTubes. So you can go to YouTube. We have a channel there, 11 O'Clock Comics, at 11 O'Clock Comics, no, no apostrophe. And, uh, and, you know, trying to put some stuff up there. It's very different than our podcast, which goes long. These are short, five, ten minute videos covering things like the best thing I read this week or things that are on shelves and uh, our previous videos. So please do check that out because uh, you know how that the, the YouTube algorithm, people, eyeballs, likes, comments, all that stuff matter. So uh, check those out. And then in your travels book wise, um, you know, a few years back, uh, a gentleman by the name of Trad Moore came out with a comic called Silver Surfer Black. Uh, we all collectively sang its praises. I believe uh, Vince might have called it like the best arty comic uh, superhero art he'd seen in years, something to that effect. Um, it was a visual delight. And, uh, and, and lo, these many years later, uh, the reason we haven't seen any trad more art is because he was working on this here, new book, Dr. Strange fall sunrise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first issue is out. Uh, and I will be totally honest, uh, much like silver surfer black. This is not a book that you should be buying for a Hickman-esque narrative. This is a book you should be buying to be absolutely blown away and have your brain melt at the gloriousness of Tradmore's line. 
this first issue, gotta be honest, not sure I understand what the hell's going on from a plot perspective or a dialogue perspective, but holy shit did I not care because seeing Trad and his uh his wildly open and surrealistic and nonconformist line uh punch us in the face with Marvel Mystic and Strange in strange uh worlds and dimensions with just almost psychedelic coloring by uh by uh Heather his his uh well his his ex wife I guess now but his wife. Um uh it was was a sight to behold and uh and this book looks as great as Silver Silver Black. May even look better I guess when all is said and done given the ability to uh play with more, you know, colors and dimensions and stuff. But but yeah absolutely worth it and this will no doubt be once the series it's a six issue series comes out i'm sure it will be turned into a treasury edition just like silver surfer black but uh do yourselves a favor and uh and check this out maybe it's is it four issues that is it four issues or six issues? i think it's four okay yeah that makes sense uh but yeah dr strange fall sunrise number one nice uh in your travels um another book about a comic book artist um I don't think you guys have ever mentioned this guy on the show. His name's Josh Bayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Tomorrow Forever, uh, I'd been putting off reading this book for a while um, just because I knew it was going to have a heavy impact on me. Um, I was a huge fan of Theth, the previous book. Um, if you ever want to know what it's like to be inside the mind of an artist who is just being ripped asunder with self-doubt and frustration about not being able to express themselves this book captures it beautifully it's um it's tough to read at, at, yeah. at points because i've been there i know what it's like not in the physical sense i've never had my heat turned off in my apartment because i refuse to to spend money and i never starve myself but mm-hmm. um the 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 notion of desperately wanting to be an artist and not being able to make it happen and, and, and manifest um, is, is something I definitely identify with. So the, yeah. the book is very powerful. Um, I think it's from Tinto Press. Uh, came out maybe two years ago, um, but it was amazing. Nice. Bonus points. All right, everybody. Hey, we thank you for being here. Uh, we got to thank Matthew for joining us because he lit the fire. He made it all come alive. And uh, again, we say it all the time. Anytime you want to come back, buddy, doors open. Thank you. We may have an empty seat soon. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, That's yes. <laughs> How do you know it was you? <laughs> you said know? earlier, like, what are you doing for the next 10 years? Oh, yeah, it's true. I did. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Hang on, my boy Wood, because he sees the book the right way. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, yeah, so come back next time for more of this. We'll be waiting for you with sandwiches and, and finger things. And, and in the meantime, cucumbers, cucumbers watercress. Uh, in the meantime, buy some books, read them, love them, kiss your loved ones, play with your pets, and say goodnight. There's my phone. Shit. Oh, there it is. I don't think I'll be able to do this as, as quickly as I did it last week. Ah, shit. I won't. Hmm. David. Good night. Oh, it's not going to work. <laughs> Shit, I fucked it up. Oh, oh wait a minute. David. Wait, damn it. I guess you got it. Are you timing me now? 
Uh, what's with these slingshot videos? Have you ever seen them? What are you talking about? They put girls with low-cut tops on on a slingshot ride at a carnival, and they record them. Like they record their boobs, <laughs> the boobs, the effect of gravity on their boobs, and well, sometimes God, man. sometimes they pop Jesus out. Christ. I thought Slingshot was a new app. <laughs> no, no, it's I thought sling- you were talking about the videos where the where the the, the girls do the the, the the outfit change at the the crescendo of the song. Oh, no, no, this is just young ladies on carnival rides. Yeah, it's wholesome, mm. Jason. It's wholesome fun. Mm. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be back next time. Thank you, Matthew. Bye. <laughs> That's it for that one. <laughs>